Ready? Aim! There's too many! Anyone see my mammoth? Ah! Steppy! Hello! We're here again. I'm here again. <laughs> Look, it's not Carlo. It's someone infinitely better than Carlo. Um, <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, you make me feel warmer inside than Carlo does, right? And that's all that matters. Oh, <laughs> well, you know, he is a bit of a robot. He is. Uh, anyway, yes, uh, it is Clarence. He's back. Uh, I did say it would be back, so this is... I didn't lie, right? Uh, and, uh, yeah, he's come here to replace Carlo, obviously. Um, before we, you know, go into what Ariakas has been doing, uh, as we normally would with Carlo, uh, I am actually going to open today with a, a very important announcement actually uh, it's someone's birthday uh if anyone's yeah. been on google today you'll know that is uh, oscar Saller's birthday who's a uh german physicist with uh did stuff with musical instruments and things like that um and uh it's also carlo's birthday but no one gives a shit about him so it's fine <laughs> anyway uh <laughs> uh all right Ariakas, clarence how, how you doing how you doing I'm doing good. Yeah, I, uh, I'm a teacher by profession, so I've had the last two weeks off, this first start of the summer break, and I've just been kind of taking it easy, doing a lot of painting, some hobbying, um, playing some games here and there, of course. Uh, but yeah, no, it's been pretty chill so far. Can't complain. Playing some How about games. Yourself? Playing some games. What's this playing some games malarkey stuff? I, uh, what's that? I don't do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's actually been really interesting. I've been playing a lot of games at the, the local shop called X Planet in Mississauga, and um, they've run a couple of tournaments, which is cool, but they've had a lot of new players come in. So I'm doing a lot of teaching, essentially. A lot of, like, you know, play games and break down afterwards and talk about, you know, how the game went, what'd you like, what'd you not like, what would you do better, and offer my advice. But gamers are gamers, you know, they're pretty stubborn, meaning that no matter what you say, they have to kind of like experience it often to be like, oh, here's why lower activations is not doing so good or whatever the case may be. It's, uh, it's pretty sad to, uh, to know that, you know, teachers on break finally get some holiday and then the first <laughs> thing you do is dive into playing more games and find yourself teaching people again. And it's like, God damn it. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I, re I really enjoy it. I really enjoy good. it. And I try to lead them. I try to lead them to the, you know, um, to a conclusion. I don't tell them my input. I always ask them what you think first. Mm -hmm. I kind of let them, let them uh, reflect themselves. And then, you know, afterwards I'll give my two cents, but I always try to let them reflect themselves first and uh, emphasize a point that I agree with or like, you know, uh, kind of come up with counter-arguments that they think, oh, this thing did really... Like, I had a player who um, had some casualty knights. Mm -hmm. I think they finally got into combat turn four. Turn one and two, he literally held them back as, like, a defensive counter-charging piece. And I said, why? You know, because, like, one thing that's great about knights in particular is that they have this, like, range control where you mm -hmm. can push them up and then I'm actually worried about moving forwards because you can charge me first, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah. I said, by keeping them way back, I don't even factor them into my battle plan, I just push forward aggressively. And he was like, oh, oh, because he kind of saw it like cinematically, I guess, like like the night charge that saves the day kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, it's, it's not like that in the game. In the game, you want to use this as an aggressive piece to control the table. Um, so, you know, I, it, it, was, it, was, it was good to have that chat. And he, even though he thought that was a good play he made by having the knights do something round four, round five, mm -hmm. I said, no, you're paying eight points for a unit. Let's, let's use those points. In a way, that's effective. Does that mean getting into combat, right? I mean, you can just be in a position round two where you're 
controlling the board. That's still doing something, but hanging way back was doing nothing. And I had to let him see, you know, uh, why his keeping back was not was not doing so good for him. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's very, um, you know, you see it's like the cinematic take on it, which uh, is, again, like slightly, it, it, there's an element of that in obviously real warfare, you know, holding back reserves, having potentially uh, sometimes quite experienced fighters uh, held in a reserve position, so you don't necessarily bring them straight in. Uh, very famously, uh, Napoleon's guards would often be like a reserve regiment. He wouldn't necessarily lead with them. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like... Um, but yeah, having these uh, posturing, right? Posturing, you know, cavalry that is dangerous, having a dangerous thing on the board that, yes, okay, it might not necessarily be attacking, but it is looking like it's going to attack. Uh, and yeah. posturing is a is a big, big part of warfare, and of course, sunrise and fire. So you know, um, yeah, that's uh, that's definitely very true. Uh, cool, awesome. Uh, I didn't expect to have a a mini story about uh, how to yeah. use cavalry. Um, if anyone's new to the show, we don't normally teach people that well and that quickly. Um, so, so um, moving on to the first piece of news. Now, the first piece of news is about uh, US Gen Con. Um, I am going to uh, make sure that everybody knows this, um, as is probably my role. Um, it is uh, very important. So please, if you're US related uh you're going to gen con anyone you know is going to gen con this is the most important piece of information you can possibly know this week which is nice and simply they still haven't really released everything you need to know about gen con but after day one so it's not the last chance day one of the event that's the friday of the event You'll be able to change your lists should you make it through to the top 16 in the knockout. Um, we'll comment on what we think of that in a second. Uh, but there you go. I, I just thought I'd let you know. The only reason I say this is there is a competitive group going down from the Minnesota area. More on that later. Um, they're looking to go down. And members of that community, including one of our patrons I was chatting with, literally didn't know. Like, they, they literally didn't know this was a thing. Um, and he's looking to do quite well. He wants to do quite well. And he was absolutely baffled when I told him because he couldn't find it anywhere in the official documentation. So um, the fact that it is this random little highlighted Facebook comment on the Tabletop Gaming Miniatures Facebook page, that's... Let's not bash Simon communication, but that's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> Resist. Yeah. I mean, first question is why, like why change lists between two days? And if you're going to do it, like why not communicate in a way better way, email all the participants or put it somewhere on the website. It's peculiar. Yeah. It's, it's just odd. Um, it's odd because it's not outlined in obviously in like every other tournament, in the world, and I, I can say that with fairly decent certainty, certainly more from what we see on stats, obviously, um, anything that is like a two-day event, I have never seen somebody use a list pair, list pair change, except in one other event, which was uh, Gen Con. Um, at Gen Con, they just have this really weird thing where they want to use rules that they just kind of make up. 
um mm -hmm. and it's it's becoming frustrating for me personally um and i think it's i think it's it's bad for the community um yeah i mean you also have to pack more things too then right instead of just packing your 240 point list you got to pack all these extra things that you may want to sub in for day two i suppose uh, potentially even a different faction um you can switch factions yes what they treat it as if it's a completely different tournament that is nuts. I mean, that's... I mean, okay, so I was thinking to myself, okay, at least if it's day two, right, and you're playing the same faction, but you know that more Free Folk players made it through, for example, you can then tailor your list against Free Folk. But if you can just change factions, I mean, I guess no one's going to bring all their factions down, I suppose, yeah. right? I, yeah. I imagine. So you can probably bet if there were eight Free Folk qualifiers, you're probably going to play eight Free Folk players, and then maybe you can tailor your list against Free Folk or something like that, I suppose, but... If everyone can change, I mean, it depends how hardcore you are. I mean, I don't know. If I was if I was traveling down, I might bring more than one faction down just to you know do better next day. Of course you would. Of course you would. Um, the option to change is better than the option to not change because not changing limits you to you know running one thing on one day and then people know exactly what it is and they potentially bearing in mind this is very important. If they are using Swiss and there are not a huge number of players there, with, they don't have a list of participants, but we're expecting, in my head, I think they'll get 30. Um, I don't think they'll get any close, anywhere near close to the numbers higher than that. Uh, some people are saying it will be lucky if they break 30, if they're thinking more like 20. Um, some people who are, who are there did uh, have suggested that they might not even break 16, which would make the top 16 cutoff a bit of a joke. Uh, I do think there'll be more than 16. Um, but no. uh, but yeah, like I, the, to warrant a 16-player cutoff, you know, 32 even, I don't think they'll make. Um, but it means that those who do qualify and th who do get through, obviously, if you've bought more than one thing, there is a direct advantage to knowing what's in your opponent's lists. Um, Bearing in mind what we what we should be seeing here, right? And I think this is very important, is that this event is not, and I repeat this very clearly, it is not a celebration of the game in the way that other national events are. Um, in the same vein that I would say at the LGT, the ELO event that we run on the Friday, the Saturday and Sunday events, those are celebrations of the game. They are there. Yes, people can go along competitively to try and win the LGT, but in the end of the day, it is there to bring the community together and have this big event. Um, the Invitational happening on the Friday is not a celebration of the game. That is a competitive event to try and find out who is actually good at the game. Um, Gen Con is that it is that competitive event it is not the celebration it's not open for a start they haven't got as far as i can tell on the website and other things open events for people to just play in except the thursday last chance um there is no celebration of the game going on publicly from what i see so um from that, expect, I expect serious competitive tournament players to be going, and I can tell you for a fact that if you are a competitive tournament player, you 100% use every tool at your advantage, and if you know your opponent's lists, that is a tool at your advantage. Um, 
it might not like ironically it might not mean you change many things it might not yeah. right yeah. i think there's a there's a significant difference between knowing and changing mm. but the ability to know and the ability to change i think that that is very very important um i i hate it personally i hate it because it breaks from the tournament rules structure that they imply works for everyone else it literally is different rules to every other game event run yeah. and the thing that pisses me off with all of this is that if we did something different like that i know the elo scoring is different and that took a while to get people into it and it started online obviously and things which hey everyone uses it great if we were to come along and say oh yeah we're going to completely change the tournament structure for day two we would get a huge amount of backlash yeah simon come along and do it and think it's okay at this one event and it's like oh yeah cool what <laughs> yeah um, it's it's weird it's weird because it, as you mentioned you know it's it's the qualifying events don't match up to the main event you know what i mean and uh yeah i don't know i don't know how serious people are going to be to bring different factions that's annoying and then when you're there you have to wonder oh did brett bring bring more than you know this and that and i mean it's just another aspect of the game that you don't have to really take into account normally and it's just like i'd rather just be able to like talk to the players and and, and socialize and not try and like get information i don't know maybe i'm taking it too seriously but it it, it does seem does seem very odd but i'm trying to think like what is the advantage what's the uh like why would they do this why does it why does this format you know being done like to what to what gain you know and i'm, I'm really just i i don't know and maybe if, if it was a celebration of the game and it wasn't some kind of knockout into like people could say ah oh, the saturday then is just people running like chill lists but then the competitive lists to come out sunday which mm. or the th saturday in this case friday and saturday uh which i'm not entirely for but i'm not against either do you know what i mean like I, at least i can see that being an option um, mm. Because people can come along on the Saturday, uh, the Friday, uh, run lists that are a little bit nicer, a little bit more chill, more friendly towards newer players, potentially, that kind of thing, uh, into then running the serious competitive I'm going to win games on Saturday um, in a knockout format. Bearing in mind, it's a knockout format, so it's not round robin. It is not uh, Swiss or anything like that. It's a knockout format on the Saturday. So you might turn up, play one game, and that's it. Your tournament's over. Um, which, again... I hate, I absolutely detest that, because it makes planning for the event almost impossible. Um, right. uh, I, I'm never I'm never a fan of these events where you get knocked out. It, they don't even run any alternatives from what we can tell. Um, it is just go along, play until you're out, and then it doesn't matter how many days of hotels you booked, you can't play a Song of Ice and Fire in an event at Gen Con anymore. I'm guessing there'll be tables you can play on, though. Um, yeah. Yeah, like, no, I, I hear you. I hear you. I mean, I, I always find it puzzling when people would drink or losing a game, and it's like, don't you enjoy playing the game? <laughs> Wouldn't you just keep on playing? I keep on playing. You know, I'd probably find another player who got knocked out and just be like, hey, you want to throw down on this table and just, you know, kill some time? Yeah. Or explore Gen Con, I guess. You are at Gen Con, I suppose, right? Yeah, I mean, there's that, though, right, as well. And I think that's the irony of it all, is that by the time it comes to the last game on the Saturday, the, the, the final no one's going to be there. <laughs> like, there won't be any spectators. You'd be like, oh, well done on the winner of Gen Con, and get, like, the two or three other players that have waited around to watch it. 
Yeah. Come back. I'd come back and be like, all right, who, who won this thing, you know? Yeah, but this year, you'd come <laughs> back, right? You wouldn't yeah, yeah, stay yeah. and watch necessarily. You wouldn't. Ooh, that's a tough one too. I would. Oh man, they'd have they'd have to have a space where you can't come near the table because too many people would uh, be crowding around and making faces and trying to keep, keep from making comments. Mm -hmm. It um, it downplays it, right? It definitely downplays it. Um, it, it's a shame because you know we've said it before. Uh, we don't just. At stats, we don't just slag things off because we can. In fact, we try to give constructive criticism. Um, but the big thing here is, is that this is the flagship event. You know, this is the event by which a lot of TOs, you know, the guys running the LGT do look at Gen Con for ideas, for uh, concepts, for the kind of like backing for future events. Because, you know, we're potentially looking at 256 players next year for lgt and if we're going up to 256 there is no possible way we can run an event they're doing nine rounds bearing in mind right nine rounds uh in this period of time i think it's five rounds on day one which is absolutely ridiculous um we need to learn you know the lgt team need to learn from that event if they want to run certain things in the future uh, players no. everywhere will know who was the winner of uh, Gen Con, big event, Gen Con, big event. We see it every year. Um, and yet again, you know, we look to it and say, but it just, it's just so different. Mm -hmm. Like, they're almost playing a completely different game from what the rest of the competitive community is playing. Yeah. And yeah. then you look at, you know, again, you look at casual individuals and say, oh, they might be playing more like casuals. They're not even playing casually. They're playing a rule set that just nobody plays. Um, yeah. Last year, it was six terrain for everything. Mm -hmm. No no one plays six terrain. Wow. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Some people might do casually, but like no one competitively. Um, yeah. 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 Anyway. Yeah. It, it should be standard. You know, it should be the way that most people play the game. Because that's, I mean, for example, it, you know, before... Um, before COVID, I would say uh, in Canada, I should say in Ontario where I play, we always played random terrain. Mm. And then when COVID struck and we started playing online, we found that you know pretty much Europeans didn't play that and they played uh, pick. And because we take part in so many international events, we played in so many international players, we all slowly started playing pick instead just because it seemed to be the more quote-unquote standard way to play mm -hmm. um and, and you know and I'm, I'm totally cool with that and i think you know a, a tournament should try to match how do most people play the game uh, hey. i mean that's one of the areas that you can wiggle yeah play choice. but otherwise you know 40 point lists you know what's coming all the way through the events kind of thing uh you know four pieces you know it should be standard otherwise if this is the new way to play the game let's let's play that let's practice that six pieces or whatever right yeah exactly um and, you know, four-piece picked is standard because it's in the document. Random is a completely, like, if someone says to me, running an event, it's going to be random terrain, I'm like, I, I, I don't like random as much, but I don't hate random. It's not going to stop me going to the event. Uh, that's fine. It's just an alternative uh, choice. If someone was to say to me, it's a 30-point event, I'd be like, oh, cool, yeah, awesome. Like, not necessarily what I might want to play, but... If it's an event I wanted to go to anyway, yeah, go on, I'll go and I'll play a 30-point event. Um, uh, Ian says all events he ran were six terrain. Fair enough, Ian. If you're running a te six terrain piece events, uh, it's down at Fabricators, right? So, um, yeah, uh, that's fine. Yeah, uh, if that's the way if that's the way people play, maybe 
you know, maybe it is. I don't know. Uh, seems odd though because it doesn't say anywhere six terrain pieces in any of the rules, which is uh, just why I, I was confused why people went for that way. Um, yeah. But yeah. I anyway. always find four very impactful. I, you know, I find four, like four pieces terrain always does something, and that's one thing I love about uh, songs terrain is that it always kicks in and always makes an effect on the game, whether it's a bog or a, a weirwood or whatever. Uh, the terrain you always interact with it in some way. I find, which, whereas um, I was watching some people play Age of Sigmar the other day, and like terrain doesn't do anything in that game, as far as I can tell. <laughs> you can go into it, but like it doesn't stop anything. You don't get a, like the bonuses are so minor. Whereas song terrain, there's just enough, and it's just impactful enough to like make a difference. Yeah, um, and the beauty of terrain is, is some people say oh, it doesn't really do anything. It's like I've always argued this point. Um, if terrain's not doing anything then you aren't using terrain properly. Um, like, yeah. terrain should impact the game. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, like, that should be a thing. Um, and ra random terrain is, I don't like it personally as much. Um, but random terrain's fine. Uh, some people in chat say they play random terrain more regularly. It makes it more interesting. I'll be honest, it doesn't for me. Um, but then... I enjoy playing the game, so that's the interesting part for me. Not the, uh, the terrain is just part of that. Um, and I think we've talked about it before, and we're definitely not going to broach this topic. I think far too many people get lured into pick corpse pile, pick weirwood, corpse pile, weirwood, and that style of play, that terrain choice, is both one-dimensional and it's kind of like easy mode terrain picking. Um, there are very few scenarios where I believe that that is the correct play. Um, there are a myriad of other terrain pieces that should be seeing a lot more play, depending on the faction that you are. Um, As I mentioned, I'm teaching a lot of new players, and uh, you know when I put down the palisade and I put archers behind the palisade, it like breaks their brain. And I'm like, yeah, you can't charge me the way. Like, well, I can't charge you. Palisade, it's it's great. You know, it's a great learning learning experience for them to to think about other terrain pieces. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, palisades, stakes. Um, I think low walls don't get used as much as they should do. I think low walls are a very strong piece of terrain. Uh, bogs, obviously, my personal favourite. Uh, bogs are amazing. Um, <laughs> good. So good. So good. Uh, hedges are about the only terrain piece. And I do mean this, like, non meme -y. Hedges are about the only terrain piece nowadays, which... They they don't really have much going for them. Um, they don't. <laughs> no, but that's because as we've we've discussed before, the cover rule in this game is just Not bad. Really. Um, yeah. Anyway, anyway, so that's uh, terrain and uh, tops on there. Uh, we have had some other stuff as well, which we'll go through quickly uh, before we move into the main meat and potatoes of today. Other newsworthy bits. Um, the Welsh DT mm -hmm. ran this weekend um and uh the winner was this man here uh jacob you'll recognize the other man in the uh, jukes gaming tap he was on live with uh scammer not too long ago uh luke giving him his prize there um and yeah that means jacob uh winning the 20 man uh, welsh gt will gain a spot for the invitational uh happening on the friday of the lgt um 
playing free folk uh very good player uh and friend and uh yeah obviously well done to him but of course the whole event as well so okay 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 has tom tyler qualified yet for the for the for the invitational yeah technically yes through the online invitational okay. knockout event we did that um, man needs to play in the invitational there is there is a problem uh ariakas in that he has this little thing called a job and oh. his job Clarence is awfully similar to yours. Oh. Um, so working in education in the UK means that you can't necessarily get Fridays off. Uh, ah. Yeah. So he's tried to. Oh my gosh. He's tried yeah, to so plan I, in. I saw, yeah. yeah. Sorry. I, I saw the lists and I was like, I, I, I was like, respect the man taking neutrals into like a pretty competitive event. I saw a lot of you know other names I recognize. A lot of good lists. He wins his first game. I think he lost the second game, and then he won four. Third, uh, third game four, he lost uh, to, to, to Jacob, the eventual winner anyway. Oh, yes, he lost his third game yeah. to Jacob, that's right. And then he won four, five, and six, and came second overall with neutrals. Two seven activation lists, I believe. Double Flayman in both. So he's obviously taking the best stuff. Strong uh, NCUs as well, but like, still mad respect to, to getting second with neutrals. Mad respect. Mm-hmm. He uh he played Ramsey in all but one game as well. He played the Ramsey list, not the Roos list. Um wow. I do know the Roos list is pretty good. Um but yeah. Uh yeah, fair. No, the Ramsey list is it's the same kind of thing, just gaining two points there. Yeah, cool. Uh but all the lists are of course available. Uh is 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 those doors very small, is Jacob very tall? It's a combination of both, Doug. Um it is Wales, uh so a lot of the doors are a lot smaller. Uh but Jacob is also the size of a mountain. He's a massive, massive guy. And he's like twenty three or something like that. He's huge. And uh, he's probably still growing upwards. It's it's crazy. Um But yeah. Uh cool. Um, ooh, let's see what's here. Ah, we have another. I've just been sent this, so uh, we'll do this live on strip. Do it live, fuck it, do it live. Um, now this man here, uh, if anyone recognizes, do you know who any of these people are, Clarence? Uh, sorry, so how do I see what you're seeing? Do I have to click watch stream or what do I do? Yeah, yeah, that one. I just be, uh, hey, I'm just very. Like I'm very impressed that Ariakas throughout this entire time has kept up with the conversation without a fucking clue what I've been looking at. Uh, it did that there would like be an echo or something like that. <laughs> there you go. So this guy, uh, the guy laughing with the ridiculous uh, Grogu top on, by the right hand side, that's Carl Kirsten. Yep. This is the West Coast Bannerman group, uh, and that is Trash Panda Bats Joe uh, winning on the West Coast event that they ran this weekend as well. Or was this oh. weekend or the oh, yeah. previous weekend? I can't remember. Um, so, yeah. Uh, he has this whole banner. That is a banner he got saying Warden of the West from West Coast Bannerman that he gets to keep. How awesome is that? That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Product, product is always nice for when winning, but usually, like, you've probably already got most of the products you want for your faction. And things yeah. like extras, um, like stuff like this, like penance and stuff. I've shown this before on stream. Uh, I got this from um, uh, Scotland. But stuff like this, like that's actually really nice. Like, it's a physical thing that's not necessarily related to the game that can go up. It doesn't 
you don't have to carry it around with you and clog up things like you know traveling places nightmare but yeah um yeah anyway there we go that was a, a random message i just got anyway That's cool. back to our scheduled uh <laughs> Um, so yeah, obviously, uh, well done to the pair of them, uh, Jacob, and of course, any other winners of the weekend as well, um, of which there are plenty. <laughs> um, is Trash Padabats coming to the Invitational? I don't think so, Ilya. Um, and Doug, yes, it was a fedora. I keep it above my thing, in case I need to wear it. I'm sure I've worn it on stream before. It's a more classic British variant. There we go. Lovely. So, um... <laughs> Right. Ariakas, you approached me sometime this week and you said about running a map-based campaign. Yeah? Yeah. And then you bombarded me with about 13 messages and I was like, what? Who prepares for Tourney Ground this, easy, uh, this much? Uh, usually I send one message to Carla saying, are you coming? And he doesn't even respond with yes, and he just joins the Discord group about three seconds before we go live. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, campaigns. Campaigns. Uh, I'll show this image up. Not this image. This image. This is something that you have prepared for us. And there's also a whole document which we'll go through um in a google docs format which i've linked in the description below so if anyone wants to access that it's there i'll also drop it in chat for anybody who wants to follow along feel free to open that up have a little read um go on campaigns talk us through what your thoughts were what you were looking to do how on earth i might be able to i can't help you there's no point even trying to say um and yeah go on what are you thinking yeah, so basically, um, we ran a campaign, um, a map-based campaign years ago, way, way back. I think it's like 1.3 or 1.4, way back in the day. Mm -hmm. And what was happening in our club, we noticed, was that we were playing a lot, and we uh, were running semi-monthly you know, 40-point uh, tournaments. And we just got kind of bored after a while, to be honest with you, was that, you know, the meta wasn't changing too much. And I feel like, I don't know if the meta is kind of approaching that state right now. Um, you know, we have some new releases coming out with Golden Company and whatnot, but nothing is meta changing per se, probably. Mm -hmm. So if if your gaming club, and it's not going to happen everywhere, but if your gaming club is getting a little bit stale because you're doing the same old, same old week in, week out, this could be a really cool way to spice it up and change it up. And uh, just going to give out some pointers as to, like, you know, what worked for me. And, of course, everyone can do their own thing and change it up as they please. Um, the first tip I'm going to have is if you're going to do a map-based campaign at your local club um, is to keep it defined. So, you know, say we're going to play for four weeks, we'll play eight games, and then after that we are done. Don't just drag it out. Don't say, you know, first 10 territories because that might not happen for who God knows how long. So I would just give it a time limit is my first um, starting point. Second starting point is um, the map itself. Uh, people, I think, are tempted to build Westeros, you know, because there is an actual map of Westeros. Um, but the problem with building that map is that there's a literal choke point, which is used in the story, Moat Caitlin. And if um, someone t conquers that territory and you've got factions above and below, they end up... It, it makes it ugly because they can't influence things south of Moat Caitlin, essentially. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so the literal map, because of the way it's formed, this pear shape with Mo Caitlin uh, forming a bottleneck, actually causes real problems uh, in a map-based campaign. So it's much better to have mm-hmm. a square or rectangular-based uh, map where it's easier to access everybody else. So I actually took a picture of um, of the map, and there's there's a middle chunk of land around the western lands of, of Casterly, which looked kind of like this. So for those who like to be immersed in Westeros, this is actually taken from a, a small section of the map, loosely translated mm-hmm. onto a hex-based system. So that was kind of the inspiration. We were just getting kind of bored playing 40-point games over and over and over again. And so I will say that I think the campaign's really, really fun, but it is completely non-standard game. You're not even playing 40 points versus 40 points all the time. Um, you can use gold to bolster your armies, and you might be playing 45 points versus 40 points. But I think it's kind of cool, too, to like play a challenging you know, uphill battle, knowing going in that the enemy has more funds than you, because, I don't know, it's just a different way to play. Um, so that's where the inspiration came from. And, uh, you know, old Warhammer fans, and I was like, you know what, I remember playing Mighty Empires back in the day, and I thought that was pretty fun. I wonder if I can adapt those rules for Song of Ice and Fire. So I read through, and I'm like, this is totally adaptable. And uh, that's where that document came from. I just pretty much copy and pasted the rules for Mighty Empires, and I just switched up a couple of things here and there to make it fit for uh, Song of Ice and Fire instead. Um, so yeah, I thought, you know, if we want to kind of get, go through quickly the rule set, we can just kind of explain how the things work. It's very defined, lots of, you know, steps. And, um, yeah, yeah, so, so like I mentioned, um, you know, I thought four weeks is good. You can play two games a week. Uh, it's in and out in a month, and then you're done. You can, you can wrap it up. And, um, the other thing that's tough for players, especially those of families, is making it in regularly. So it's good to have uh, teams. So you want to partner up with somebody else, and the idea is that if you guys both make it in on game day, perfect, you play game one, they play game two, but if you can't make it in, they play both your games. And the other thing too I'm going to say is that if you're going to take part in a campaign, make sure you can commit, because if you can't come week after week after week, it's a bit of a drag. You know, this may not be for you, but we're looking, you know, most people are looking for more or less committed players who can show up regularly. Um, again, people miss the odd week here and there, totally cool, and that's why there's a partner system so that your people can pick up. Uh, I make a note to say that even though it's partners, it's not doubles. You're not playing together at the same time. You're playing one game after another. You play the first game, they play the second game, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, we say, you know, basic things like you got to pick a faction, stick with the faction. So if you're playing Starks, you're playing Starks all throughout. And, um, yeah, be aware that it may not be equal points. It could be 40 points, 45 points, etc. I think the maximum points we said was uh, you can play up to 47 points based on special rules that are allowed. Um, I mentioned a cost of entry just because if you are playing at a local game shop, I do uh, believe in supporting your local game shop. And we normally throw, you know, let's say $10 per person just to, you know, show, I guess, the game shop, like, your appreciation for letting them use their space and so on. Um, and then most game shops are willing to throw that money back at you with store credit because if you give them 100 bucks in cash, you know, they can give you back 100 bucks of credit, but it really costs them 60 bucks because of uh, recommended manufacturing price, et cetera. So most places are willing, willing to do that. You know, talk to your game shop about that kind of stuff for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the goal of the campaign is pretty straightforward. The goal is capture as many hex tiles as possible by the end of four weeks. And um, you dice off. You can do maybe a team dice off to see who gets to pick your starting position. You can pick anywhere on the map you want. 
And then the next person, I guess we normally go clockwise if you're in a room full of people, yeah. uh, has to pick a spot one hex tile away. So you could start very close to each other if you want to. If you want to start the hostilities, totally cool. Um, and uh, yeah, so you, and then you mark the hex tiles with the city. Now, that image that Miki put up earlier, um, uh, I got that from a website. I can't remember the name of it, but uh, it's pretty free. I have it up, free... thankfully. Hex, oh, he hextml.playtest.playest, uh, 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 Jesus Christ, I get my words out, uh, .net. So again, I'll link that in the, uh, in the chat there. Um, that was the website used. Uh, and I will just take over from... Ariakas, just quickly, but you can make your own place on here. You can put images on here if you want. You can do it all manually on here if you wish to, digitally, or as Ariakas' dad did, print it off, have it as an image, and then do it manually on that, whichever works for you. Uh, I've used this for something else before. Um, Ariakas was obviously using this for uh, what he does. This is uh, a really good tool for things like D&D and other things. Um, and yeah, lots of things. Let's, uh, let's add some mounted ranges over here. There we go. There's our amazing map that i spent ages doing <laughs> anyway yes go on <laughs> yeah so um so i actually had a mighty empire set so we had a, a physical copy that we could use in the store and it's really cool to have that tactile element where you can actually you know put in your castles and your flags and that kind of stuff but mm -hmm. that is a kit that is not unavailable now from games workshop so if you don't have that you can of course draw one on paper but um if someone's willing to bring their laptop or their you know ipad to the to the game shop as well you can just update it via via that as well. So uh, that's how the map gets created. Um, okay, so yeah, Mighty Empire, so good, so good. You know that that's a uh, yeah. I uh, it's it's a timeless piece. I hope they release it one day. One I of the best got, things. If I was to rummage around here, I am um, annoyingly the hexes are elsewhere. Uh, <laughs> but I have the I have the old terrain set, and uh, I have all the buildings and everything in one bag, and all the tiles somewhere else. Really, really clever idea that was to separate them. Um, yeah. yeah. Worth it. Anyway, yes, let's go. Uh, yeah, so then um, I think there's a system as to determine who is the winner. So if you both get the 10 tiles first as a way of, of breaking ties, you know, you can just read that part. Mm -hmm. And then each campaign round is made of uh, five distinct phases. You have the events phase, revenue phase, challenge phase, battle phase, and conquest and build phase. So the event phase is the, I'd say, spiciest part of the campaign, where um, starting with the team with the lowest empire, uh, lowest the smallest empire, mm -hmm. and the reason why it's the smallest empire is if they're doing the worst, we want them to get first dibs on the best event, and the team that's doing the best gets last pick. So it's kind of like a handicap almost, a way for the, you know, teams that are hurting to uh, kind of make it back. And you pick one of these. I think there's eight. I think there's eight uh, different events possible. And, um, you know, very quickly, fool's gold means that uh, when it comes to making money, you make zero money instead. And, and extra money is a big deal because it lets you buy a bigger army. Um, building boom means you get to expand easier. Uh, disaster means that you pick a guy who's got lots of mines, castles, and cities, and on a one, it just destroys and blows up. Reigns of customer style. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, um, all or nothing is if you win, you get an extra two empire points, but if you lose, you get zero. Normally, losing gets you one empire point, which you can use to, I think, build a screen for, for gold. But, uh, yeah, if you, if you win, you win big. If you lose, you lose. Scouts, I, you know, and this is where, Mickey, I'm looking for some feedback because I wrote these rules way, way long time ago. It was unbalanced then, I'm sure, and I'm wondering if there's 
um, grossed imbalances that you can see uh, <laughs> that we may want to tweak a little bit. So scouts was one I think that might be a little bit powerful. The idea is that your scouts have surveyed the battlefield, so you get to choose uh, table side. Your opponent deploys first, and you get choice of first player. So again, if it's a little too powerful, it's not a bad thing because again, the idea is that the team that's in last place does get to pick it first and kind of make a comeback. So what do you think about that? Being uh, able to choose table, so it's it's weird. Um, you win the roll for choosing table side, but your opponent must deploy all their forces first. So does that mean you get to choose what side of the field you get, and then they deploy everything? That's right. Oh wow! So that's even better than just winning in in real person, where you would that's pass right. the yeah. decision to them. Wow! You get all the advantages, in other words. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that's obviously very strong. Um, if I was doing something like that, I would probably change it to winning the role. Absolutely fine. Uh, maybe. Deploying two units, I think that's already a massive advantage rather than everything. Um, I think if they have to deploy everything, yeah, there are armies that can ignore that. Uh, like if you're a Targaryen player, especially if you're like Drogo Cavalite lists, I don't really think you give a shit if your opponent's got scouts. Uh, you're more inclined to care about uh, board edge than you are about deployment. Whereas if you're something like um, a heavy infantry style list, Deploying all of your stuff is like, oh, where is my four movement infantry going to go that's going to fuck me for the rest of the game? Yeah, I think it encourages just kind of death balling down the mid, which, hey, that might work for Brathians. Um, the problem, so the, the, the problem here is, right, I think it's very strong. Uh, is that any stronger or worse or, or less impactful in the campaign than any of the other events, right? Um, and without playing the campaign and without knowing the events and the impact they can have i would say that uh, i don't know um if it's yeah, if it's if winning a game is better than the outcome of most of the events then this is probably the one that makes more likely to win a game most of the time i thought so probably the most impact but yeah i mean yeah I don't... If anything, the only thing I would say is perhaps um, the only difference is you could, instead of changing the deployment, you could change it to um, maybe it's a choice of terrain or something like that. Maybe uh, maybe give like somebody an extra terrain piece over the other opponent. Yeah, that's cool too. You know, your scouts, you know, you managed to like Corral the enemy to like the right battlefield that suits your suits your kind of army. Mm -hmm. And I want to say, you know, these rules, people, if you want to use them, feel free to make a copy, change them up. Like, this is just how we kind of laid it out, or I laid it out. Um, not set in stone. Please take it, adapt it. So you know, do what you want with it if you think it's interesting. Uh, so that scouts definitely one that I think was a bit controversial. Could be a bit powerful for sure. Uh, diplomacy is you pick a, a team. They may not challenge you during the challenge step. Uh, land grab means that it's easier to capture territory, it takes one number of points into two. And then the other one that thought I might like some feedback on is elite army. So the idea is that you choose one unit in your army and they gain one extra rule for their range attack or their melee attack. 
And the list I chose is kind of the vanilla one, Sundering versus Critical Precision. And I thought to myself, you know, I like to keep it kind of simple, but, you know, you could add things like Fueled by Slaughter, maybe, but Fueled by Slaughter is on melee, I guess, only not ranged. Um, good to add things like Motivated by Coin, but, you know, that's not really a, a range attack rule or, or melee attack rule. It's more of a, like a special ability for the unit itself. So I didn't want to make it too complicated, uh, but, you know, is there anything else you can think of that might be cool to add as a special rule for range or melee attacks? I do have a question. Yes. Does this affect both attacks? So if I if I've got a unit, let's say Bolton Bastard Girls, if I pick mm, yes. the key world, would it affect both? Yeah. You know, so I think I, I never thought about that, and I think if I had to decide, I'd say pick one or the other. Yeah, pick your range or your okay. melee. So normally I was thinking like if if you're picking crosswomen, you'd pick maybe critical blow. You know, if you pick Stark Storm Swords, you might pick built in. So. In my brain, it was one of your attack profiles gains this new keyword. Mm -hmm. I personally, um, favoring simplicity, would say the unit just gets it uh, for both attack profiles if there are any. But that's for simplicity's sake. It uh, doesn't necessarily mean that that is more balanced. It might actually be less balanced. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, they're all... I mean, Sundering and Vicious are fine. I don't think there's any issues with that being on ranged or melee. Uh, irrelevant. Um, crit Blow. Uh, I'm always hesitant giving Crit Blow to anything, <laughs> ever. Um, because it does counter, like, my baby's free folk. But it also just counters everyone else as well. Just being able to blow something up uh, that's not very defensive is, uh, is sad times. Um and precision is always a tricky one. Um, the only reason I don't like precision um, is that it starts, if you've got like a unit with native precision anyway, um, you've got to be very careful in how it invalidates certain solos. Now, I'm not just talking about giants, but anything that has those types of rules, anything that is reliant on being defensive um champions of the stag you know all of a sudden it just becomes oh you rolled three sixes fuck <laughs> um uh but that doesn't mean again that it doesn't mean that it needs to be removed it's just always something i'm, I'm always very cautious about those two, two keywords uh when yeah. i'm playing the game i'm always looking for those keywords so if my mm -hmm. opponent has it from an ability that might not necessarily be on their cards or in their deck um i'm more inclined to forget it and I believe that they have a higher impact. Um, yeah. They don't actually have a higher impact. This is a key thing here. They don't have a higher impact. But it's the perceived higher impact in what they provide versus what the others don't. Um, yeah. I have no problem with those, to be honest. Yeah, Critical Blow, I, I do see your point, is definitely one of the feels bad names. Like, they just rolled five sixes. You know, what can I do? <laughs> Right. So, yep. um, you know, I can definitely see that being a little bit much. So, again, people, if you if you like the idea of the campaign, you can just eat that one if you think it's too much and uh, you can go from there. Hey, nice. As, as Doug's saying in chat there, nice to cast your block with Crit Blow. Yeah. Nice to cast your block with Crit Blow. Let's just fucking go. Um, Tully Cavaliers, but, I don't know, really get it. But... Arguably, you know, if it is good, it makes you wonder which one do you really want? Do I want a leader army? Do I want scouts? Do I want all or nothing? Like, you know, it, maybe it's good to have multiple strong options as well, right? So well, that's anyway, the thing is yeah. choosing these events. There has to be a 
you know, any choice in any game, there has to be a discernible choice being made. Um, people have to know that they're making a choice and it's not just this one's the best, so I pick this one. Uh, there's yeah. going to be some that are better for map control. There's going to be some better for the actual game. Uh, and having that as an impactful choice that people make, um, while also being flavorful, I think is important. Uh, because ultimately, campaigns, they're not... They're a method of generating games. But actually, the main reason to have a campaign, of course, is to have more interesting games and more flavorful games than just here's 40 points and now I've got 40 points too. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I again, probably wouldn't be perfect for me. The only other thing I could think of is um, uh, it could be, or in a, there could be an event there or something like that, which gives your commander a special ability. Like um, it could be a case of giving a commander like embolden um or iron resolve yeah or iron resolve or maybe intimidating presence um yeah, something cool. very simple like one of those three like aoe buff or single unit buff or single unit kind of like attack buff uh, because they're, yeah. they're powerful abilities don't get me wrong um but they're also that elite army style kind of like theme that you're going yeah. for um yeah and that could be commander only or just a unit uh yeah and that might be That's something good. And then you can, make, like you can make dumb stuff like uh, Iron Resolve Silence Men for Greyjoys and walk around being like, ah, <laughs> we took a panic test, guys. Did we fail? Oh, yeah, we failed. How many of us ran away? Nope, no one? No, good, good, good. Off we go. <laughs> um, yeah, cool. For the commander's, commander's unit. Yeah, so, yeah, again, people, if you'd like to add the extra rules, if your group's you know cool with adding the complexity, I mean... That is not a bad thing. Uh, you know, the thing is, the campaign already has, like, a bunch of phases, too. So even though you might think right now, oh, I can totally just add that, you know, it, it does... Every level of complexity, you know, does does slow the game down, make it hard to dive in. So just, just be wary of adding too much complexity as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Ilya does say that potentially there could be an event that uh, it could instead take away one of your opponent's abilities. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> interesting yeah take away hard <laughs> or something like that yeah that'd be kind of interesting to add in uh rip extra uh, drogo's arms weak today he lost expert duelist he's, he's just feeling oh, a bit tired no. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh that'd be rough that'd be rough um yeah so we scroll down i, yeah. I don't remember what okay so yeah after you uh you've chosen your events you then create your revenue. Now, I think the original Money Empires, uh, the River Mine made D6 gold and uh, yeah, the Mine two D6. It's way too much of a swing in 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 um, uh, in, in uh, Sunrise and Fire. So I just said Rivers make one gold, uh, Mountain Mines make you two gold, and you can bank it if you want to, and then save it for you know a critical game. Um, and each gold translates to one point. Um, or uh, for when you, when you convert it over as well. Uh, and then you've got the challenge phase. So again, to make sure that the team that's ahead doesn't pick on the weakest teams, we start in reverse order. The team, the smallest empire, challenges the team with, uh, challenges any team they want. And um, basically you work your way up. You know, the second smallest challenges whoever they want until everyone's paired off. There are rules here for doing team battles if you so wish, but honestly, I remember like when we did this years ago, no one did team battles. We always went to one-on-one -on -one games but there are other options there uh, this is straight from the Empress, i believe as to how to make that happen um there's caveats for multiple team uh, for multiple 
uh, for, for multiplayer battles where you can't have the same name character more than once. And there's rules about like tactics cards, I believe. And I think uh, I think I changed it so that you can use tactics cards on your allies' faction as long as all the conditions are met. So even though it's a Night's Watch card, you can affect your Lancer guys. You probably can't attach it, for example, but um, you know, yeah, still give the rerolls, for example. Yeah. From yeah. Shades. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, one tactics board for multiplayer events, and uh, you can still use gold. So yeah, nothing nothing crazy there. So again, you know, I want to stress that that's. That's one um, factor I like is that, you know, trying to give the teams who are in this place more opportunities to catch up between choosing events first and being able to challenge first. Uh, and then you play your games, and then you play your games, and then, you know, you can pick a mission, you guys can randomize, most people will probably randomize. And uh, the way it works is, oh yeah, so the, there's an advantage for being in first place. So if you're in first place, if you've got the most Empire points, you automatically get an extra two points to um, play your games with. So the team in first place will automatically play with 42 points minimum, and you can spend up to five gold from your treasury to add one point per gold. So uh, that's why it can be up to 47 points being played. Uh, so again, I think that's kind of spicy. If you're playing 44 versus 43, for example, you know you get to just add an extra attachment maybe or upgrade an NCU to something they may not have had in a 40-point game. Just again, change it up so it's not always the same game that we've been playing in day in, day out. Mm-hmm. And uh, the last part of the the uh, the uh, campaign is the um, conquest part. So based on your win, and I think it matches the standard uh, you know draw loss minor win standard win crushing win uh, mm-hmm. format. Yeah, you get a certain amount of empire points to go with it, and uh, you then can use your empire points to do certain things. <clears throat> so uh, the common thing you do is if you want to claim an empty tile. It takes two empire points, which means if you lose your game, you only get one empire point. You can't claim an empty tile with uh, just one empire point, um, and it's got to be adjacent. So you know your 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 empire grows. It doesn't just you know appear randomly in the map. It has to grow from where you started from. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can take over an enemy tile for three points, but it has to be um, the person you beat. So yeah. if you played, if I played Mickey and Mickey beats me, he can claim my tile if it's adjacent to mine. You can't claim it if you played if you didn't play them, which I think makes sense. Um, and then you can spend one point to build a mine, castle, or a city. Um, and I can't remember what these things do. So the mine makes you income. You can only build mines, rivers, or on mountains. Mm-hmm. The city, I believe, makes so that your tile is worth one extra tile. It's worth two tiles for the purpose of. Who's got the biggest the big empire? Yeah, yeah. And then the uh, castle reinforces your city, makes it harder to take over. Okay. Give me one moment. My phone is ringing. No, it's all right. Don't worry. Um. So yeah, I'm guessing the main point here is obviously um to build up the empire, get to a bigger point, uh, and take over first place. Uh, Biscius, uh, saying, is there a catch-up mechanic? Um. Well, we'll let Ariakas uh, get across to what he believes is the catch-up mechanic, but it is only a four-week event in the way that he originally designed it. So I'm guessing the, the catch-up mechanic is relatively light because you hope to have it ended in four weeks anyway. Um, so is it enough if you just go out and, like, crushing someone on round one that that's probably going to knock them out? Or do you think there's enough time for them to come back? And where How would you think of it? parents yeah good good question so round one you definitely can't knock somebody out because you're not adjacent to them yeah so 
at a very minimum, they would have to... Uh, let me just think here. Could it be possible? You know what? I don't know if I put in rules. That's something I should add. If you get knocked out, what happens to you? If, you're, if your capital, let's say, your, your home base gets knocked out, I would imagine you know, no one wants to kick somebody out of the campaign. I would say you can let them respawn somewhere else that's unoccupied. And the map is big enough so that I'm sure there's a space they can respawn. They become like wandering. They become the brotherhood of the banners, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, it's it's okay to knock out their territories, but let, let them come back somewhere else because no one wants to just, you know, not play anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Through one point, if you lose, uh, you can also add one gold. You know, so you get something if you, if you lose for your next game, a bit of a one point advantage, maybe. Um, mountains take one extra tile to conquer. So normally, a blank tile is t- so a mountain would be three, mm-hmm. and if it's an enemy territory on a mountain, it would be four, I guess. And yeah. then, uh, if it's a castle or a city, it takes an extra one, one. tile. Yes. Okay. So yeah. So it takes one extra tile to, to. So so if it's a castle on a mountain, it would take a five point. You have <laughs> to crush, crush someone to death. Yeah. Exactly, which I think is appropriate. Yeah, that is, obviously, yeah, yeah. You're not going to just walk around taking people's castles for free. Um, I think, yeah, I think the only thing that I would suggest, um, based on that, and that's, yeah, just saying what it's two tiles for for a city, yeah. Uh, Can't be put on Mountain Marsh, yeah, so everything else is pretty much standard. Um, Yeah, so the only thing for me would be... um, if someone wanted to run this for a longer event, I do think you'd want to have uh, a better catch-up mechanic, perhaps, but one that isn't just egregiously obvious. Um, I, I'm 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 always two minds of a I'm always in two minds of a catch-up mechanic because you should reward somebody who is better and consistently beating their opponent, but then again what happens is snowball right and i've seen it in campaigns played before uh carlo for example in our gaming group is typically quite good at games you know not just somewhere survives typically quite good at games um and he would often break ahead a little bit uh not necessarily much um but what you would see is that that advantage he could then turn into a significant advantage on the board and what ended up happening is that every game became became a case of well carlo's going to win carlo's going to win carlo's going to win uh somewhat down to the the mindset of the players and you know other rivalries and things ultimately it is a fun fun game uh with players a community um but he breaks away you know breaks ahead and he ends up just being bigger and scarier and the most dangerous opponent um that isn't always true like but that tends to be what happens and the snowball is there um i think long campaigns suffer from it a lot more than short campaigns do because long campaigns it's really impactful like where you've like five or six games still to go and you know that your opponent is just bigger than you um we played a lot more time and uh if no one here has played more time fantastic game for what it's worth uh one of the few games that games workshop uh have not brought back and uh one of the few games workshop games that i have a lot of time for outside of the original <laughs> necromunda and to somewhat gorka morka um but uh but more time you uh 
Oh man, it's so savage if on the very first game of the campaign, your leader gets killed. <sighs> because you can't replace them in more time. Uh, now, there are rules to replacing them and how they how that gets passed on and things like that. Um, and some of the later editions did actually add in, uh, the community editions add in like rebuying your leader. Um, but it's so brutal. So, so fucking brutal. Um, and there are mechanics, but the mechanics are never quite good enough to catch you up. But the key, the weird thing, and this is the bit where to some extent you've got it, but the really weird thing with more time is that the winner of the game isn't necessarily the person who comes out on top in the campaign. And that is one of the best things with the weird stone mechanics and everything that more time does and how you claim objectives and things. Um, you can win the battle and go, ha, I won, I get the bonus for winning. And your opponent goes, yeah, and I have generated a lot more money than you. So I don't actually care if you won or not, because I'm actually in a better position. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I did. I did play through this once. It, everyone seemed to really enjoy it. Um, now, the, you know, the the thing about the player in first place is they get a two point advantage every game because they always get horse pick of uh, events, yeah. and they also never get the challenge. Right, so mm -hmm. they don't have control over who they play against. In fact, if the other players collude, I guess they can make sure that. Um, whoever's, I guess, the second best player, whoever, I guess, can can challenge them and give them the hardest kind of fight. But uh, so that, I guess, is, is the kind of bouncing mechanic is that, you know, you got all these cool events and you just take the best ones, leave the worst one for them. I mean, they're all going to do something. So even though you left them the worst one, what if they take disaster, for example, and you happen to roll a one on your on your gold mines or whatever, and that's pretty terrible too. But uh, it's okay, you know, and, and if, as long as you accept going in that it's not a balanced game anymore, that you're going to be playing... Uh, uneven points that he may have an event that's better than your event for in the game if you accept that it's totally fine and it's kind of i don't know it's kind of different and I, I would personally like that kind of a challenge myself would you uh i just as a a um an element of randomness because i uh i'm a nutter um you have what eight events here um now so, yeah. if it's let's say you've got a four-player campaign just for argument's sake, uh, would you actually potentially just roll uh, a D8 and rather than generate, no, don't have it like random, oh, it's a random event, just roll it. Have a choice, but only have a choice of four. So the opponent will, you have a choice, you, you randomly generate a choice of four, and then as the last player, you go of the four that we've randomly selected, which is the one you want the most. And then by the time you get to the end, it really is probably a dumb, a, a, a crap pick for the player okay. in top because they're not even picking something that they want. Yeah. yeah. Of the remaining stuff, they're, they're almost given an event. Um, yeah, that's a good idea. That's kind of a good yeah. idea. Something else I noticed too uh, was that, I guess, you know, because we're gamers and we're always advantage, is that even though there's eight events, I think four or five of them were like really popular and two mm -hmm. or three of them were never seen. So what I thought what might be cool too is if you have four, and I think four is pretty good because um, it means you have an eight-player event, eight, eight, eight players to four teams, is that the first game, you're going to pick four events. So let's say you pick the first four, Fool's Gold, Building Boom, Disaster, or nothing. Game two, the same day, you can say these first four are out. And okay. you can only choose the second four to make sure that, you know, it's, again, different. And, and you got to try everything out. Um, 
So just another idea as well. That's something that I wanted to do if I ran this event again, actually, is if we had four teams, was to make sure that all eight events get played. Be- because some of them, I guess, are just not dealers. Yeah. Cool. No, I mean, it's, it's great. Um, it's it's not the first campaign rule set we've ever seen. And it no doubt won't be the last. Um, there's obviously scope here. You know, you can, if you particularly want to, anybody uh, is interested, you can follow some of like the growth campaigns. So rather than having... Um, written scenarios like we saw in Lockerbie's growth campaign, you could have instead, um, let's say, starting off at 35 points, and then on the second event or the second round of the event, you'd have, let's say, 40 points, then you may have 45, then 50, and then you're adding on the gold on the top as well, potentially. So if you really wanted to go different sized games, you could do different sizes of games. There's nothing inherently wrong off the top of my head with you rolling uh, a d100 and i wouldn't say run a zero to a 100 point game um but rolling a d100 and like saying well if it's going to be a a one through to 30 it's a 30 point game then like a 30 through to 40 or 32 to 50 say it like a 40 point game or maybe you make that 40 uh, 30 through 70 and or 70 through 100 it will be uh uh, a 50 point game base and then plus gold and plus all the other bonuses so if you want to play like alter the size of the altercations happening in each round that wouldn't be a terrible idea um there's no continuity with army selection right you can just pick whatever army you want there's no you can right. yeah so you just pick any list you want um when do you make the list is it after you challenge yes so oh, you know right. what faction is playing and then you just make a list oh there. so you can yeah. tailor lists then to the faction. Yeah, is it two list format or not? Do you just take one list? No, two list. You just make right. one list with the gold and else, and that's what you take. Yeah. Rock up to the event. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that that will all work. Yeah. Uh, I think it works really well. Um, and yeah, I. Uh, I'm not against trying it out. Yeah, we almost always ended the campaign also. After the last day, after the you know winners and losers have been decided, we also almost always had a big mega battle at the end where you had the eight players, you play like a four and four giant game. <laughs> and I wanted to say, you know, if you've never played giant games of song before, uh, they look messy, they look messy, but they're actually incredibly fun and tactical. You know, I think if any of us have played um, old school GW games, Apocalypse games as you were, they, they look cool, but I always thought they were kind of like terrible as a game because 40k is already like uh, characterized by like, the alpha strike, where you know one player eventually exposes themselves, and then the other player just knocks off, you know, a quarter of their army, and you're playing 25% down. Song on a big scale generally isn't like that, unless your opponent plays Night's Watch and they have like four stone throwers. <laughs> you know, you almost <laughs> always yeah. get to keep your stuff, and you get to use it. And because it's still alternate activations, you never get blown out. Um, and, uh, it's, it's really, really fun. So yeah, I've played, I've played, I've played a couple of multiplayer games and I've also played one-on-one. We both have a hundred points and we just play the game as well. And, um, again, you know, people I'm sure have played multiple, multiplayer games before. My personal take is, uh, you know, I know that right now I would, and to new players, I always say the game is really like three critical pieces. One is the tabletop itself, what's happening in the battlefield, another part's a tactics board, and the other part is your hand. Yeah. You know, for the apocalypse game, I definitely think we emphasize the battlefield. 
right? So I like to still play with one tactics board because I think it's important to be able to block zones because of triggers on cards and kickers on cards and that kind of stuff. Um, and I think back, back the last time I played a big game, we actually had double deck sizes. We had a 40-card deck when it was 100 points versus okay. 100 points. But that's tough for nowadays because no one wants to buy a whole faction pack just for a second set of uh, second set of uh, yeah. cards. Yeah. Um, but, I suppose you, you know. could use a mixed deck, right, though? There's something Sobby using in mixed deck, so um, like you could have... Uh... You could have 20 Lannister and, say, 20 Stark cards together. Uh, sure. if it's a yeah. Stark, Lannister, Alliance, or something like that. Um, yeah, and then have, yeah, I'm, have guessing, I'm guessing you change the hand sizes as well and just say, look, you're allowed more cards. Um, uh, I, think we, I think we were playing 1.6 the last time we played, so there's no oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no handling it. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, but you, you definitely could. You definitely could. Yeah, that's definitely an option. Um, yeah, no, I, uh, I like it. I think it's nice. Uh, I... I don't play a lot of these campaign style stuff. In fact, I have to admit, I barely play song outside of like playing competitively. And I use that term quite loosely because when I go down the club, I'm playing the likes of Carlo and Dan and things. Uh, and I'm playing to enjoy myself. I enjoy playing the game a lot. I absolutely love the game. But at the end of the day, I'm still trying to play and, and chest an idea or to prove something or to, um, or to play a list that I want to try. Um, well, to win, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and lie to people. I don't play to lose. There's no point in playing to lose. Um, but as a result, we don't get to do a lot of this kind of stuff because we're often thinking about the next event or trying out event lists. Um, but I do uh, I do think there's space for a campaign uh, in the game. And I know that there are comments earlier saying that Simon don't do enough for like official battlefield scenarios. Um and talk about real battles from the books and uh i thought we'd segue quite nicely just into a quick one that gypsy danger if you want battles from the books then there is someone you can go to uh islands gentlemen yeah yeah you know don't you yeah, he had that. He has a website, I believe, and he had a custom, like, custom factions. He did. You guys did a whole take on his Aaron faction, I believe, last time. Yeah, yeah, we we had him oh, on yeah. the uh, we had him on the show. I'm sure we did. Um, yeah, that was awesome. I remember I that. Can't, I can't find his website now. It's annoying because I know his name and I don't want to say say ah, oh, my fuck it. Uh, it's Boardman Gaming. Um, yeah, Belisarius says in chat, Boardman Gaming, um, with his. Uh, Website, I'm not going to be able to find it now, am I? D fuck it. Looking for Do it live. <laughs> I've got it here. There we go. So, uh, yeah, Boardman Gaming. Um, Shane, Boardman Gaming, does so much stuff uh, for tactical uh, campaign style battles, and he's got all kinds of stuff on here. I mean, I'm not even going to go and show you all of this stuff, G Gypsy. Um, the campaigns and the things that he makes are nuts. Shane is an absolutely lovely bloke as well. Um, pleasure to talk to and pleasure to talk about the game with. And he has all kinds of Game of Thrones related uh, battles you can run. So let's just have a look here. Ga uh, campaign of Thrones number 12, The House of the Undying. Let's just jump into this one. He goes through about what he, uh, 
part of the what if scenarios cool um talking about like the setting 40 point lists this is what you get for this person this is what the other person gets some of the lists and some of the rules that he introduces are you get a choice and there's like a choice of 40 points from this list of things um uh so yeah uh goes through potentially scenario terrain or perhaps um special rules anything like this so this one being a lot more uh specific um he outlines some very detailed kind of like uh rules but you'll notice have you noticed something he's been adding as no. well he adds now a playthrough of the game that he actually played so he can tell you like how like so you can see here round one this is what happened round two this is kind of what happened oh, that's so dedication you, yeah definitely um and you can see how that, the game played out that looks official holy cow yeah in-game assets are very useful um <laughs> but yeah like, like honestly like if you've never seen shame stuff um do check it out uh gypsy do check out uh one of our previous episodes on toy ground i'll see if i can find the number for you um but uh yeah it's all about all about shane tax him about what he does and everything like that uh fully 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 recommend it um yeah anyway that's awesome back with the stuff uh he hasn't written any campaign rules here. he writes like rules for everything else but not actually um like uh like a free form campaign rule set um but i'm sure that you know if shane's watching uh which i know he does um there's something that he could maybe work on and uh, use some of the ideas that we've discussed today uh and he might even steal your document you never know he might think oh i can build those into something um and he might even have something in the works that he's already got uh that he would want to share with people which if he does tell me please shane and i will share it with everyone um because it's important. Uh, all right. Anything else you wanted to add on the whole terrain, uh, terrain conversation, terrain? No, no, no. Like that's that's pretty much it, you know. And uh, and I want to say that I'm I'm more like Mickey to be honest with you. I love uh, standard forty point games. That's normally how I play. In fact, right now as I'm teaching people how to play, I would probably not run the campaign because campaign adds so much wackiness and 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 custom rules. You're not really playing the real game. Uh, but if you've been playing tons of the real game and you're starting to get a bit bored of the real game this is a nice way to like have people regularly play with you know a twist a twist to the format so it's just a different way to play uh should you be tired of the you know same old same yeah awesome that's great absolutely fantastic um all right then so should we move on to uh the final portion of today's show which i say is the final god we're an hour and 15 minutes in. You're much better than Carlo. Uh, <laughs> this um, is tight. You know, two hours, boom. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we'll obviously talk about tournaments soon enough. But between now and then, uh, I wanted to talk about faction rank rating. Um, clear up uh, one or two misconceptions, uh, which I'm sure Carlo would be, love to be here for. But just a quick one. Um, people were kind of questioning how the faction rankings and how commander rankings work. The long and short of it, the faction ranking that you see is nothing more than an amalgamation of the commander rankings. The commander rankings that you see here are 
not just the solo commander rankings they are the commander rankings mixed with the faction rating okay so you're probably thinking well how does that work how does the faction how does the overall faction sum then get added on to each individual commander to show them the rankings there's a whole reason why that is the case carlo will cover that in a future episode no doubt um but if you were to add up all of the night's watch commanders as they stand on their rankings it would come to 43.426 um and that is the overall faction ranking uh so we determine that as being the strength of the faction so think the units and the deck um the commander factions is how much do you the commander ratings i should say is how much do you influence that com uh tactics uh tactics deck jesus and units with that commander and how efficient basically can you make it run with the higher rated commanders obviously doing better um knight's watcher in the lead uh by what is now a comfortable 10 points it might change uh comfortable 14 points really that has been up and down um i don't know if it'll stay like that but what is interesting is that Mance Raider has now broken 100 points. Uh, I think it's the first time he's done so, maybe? He might have been a bit higher. At 70, when he was at 71.6, he might have broken 100 there. Um, no surprises there. He is the best commander probably in the game. Um, it is what it is. But it is interesting to know that Night's Watch is, uh, is the best faction still um so it just goes to show you just because you've got the best commander doesn't mean you're the best faction uh overall night's watch are performing better than free folk um but free folk are being dragged up by the ridiculous efficiency and quality of man's which he is ridiculous um what are your thoughts on the meta as a whole ariakas you know how are you how are you feeling with 2021 season one where are you at with how you feel about the game and the balance at the moment well, I'm going to come back to a point. I have a question for you about okay. um, command rankings and stuff. But um, overall, I'm loving uh, where the game is right now. So, you know, I guess maybe I'm comparing it back to 1.6 and maybe to the 2021 1.7, I guess, whatever you want to call it. Because I do remember in the dark days, there were certain factions that were just completely, like, unplayable. And it was, like... You know, it was just, if you want to compete, and tournaments show this too, you know, you only saw maybe four factions uh, really take part in an event. Um, and same before the balance patch, you know, Night's Watch and Targs were on top, and there was a big gap between everybody else. And right now, even though Greyjoy is in the bottom, which honestly confuses me sometimes, <laughs> um, I feel like any army has got a decent shot against any army. And unless you're playing the, the, the top players in the world where differences do magnify, I think for the vast majority of us of, of us uh, normies, uh, the faction you use does not mean as much as how you use it itself. So yes. I like that I see Night's Watch on top, and then I see Free Folk on top, and then I see Brackens on top, and then Targaryens might pop up there every once in a while. I like that it's constantly rotating because it shows you that it's not stable that any of these four factions can do well. And then, you know, there's the bottom half with Lannister, Stark, Neutrals, and Greyjoys, and they're also kind of in flux usually as well yes i know greater's in the bottom right now but that hasn't always been the case you know will it be the same next month 
I don't really know, right? So um, I'm, I'm liking where the balance is at. I know that the gap has been uh, closer than ever. And again, if, if someone rocked up with neutrals and their name was Tom Tyler, I would be like, <laughs> oh, you play neutrals? Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smash you because he's probably going to outplay me and, uh, and show me why um, that's not necessarily the case. In fact, this reminds me of ORJ Bill. ORJ Bill... And I met in person years ago at uh, the Las Vegas Open. Yeah. I was playing Darks back in the day. And he was playing neutrals, and he kicked my butt, you know. So, um, you know, don't don't judge a faction just in the ranking. Again, ranking is one thing, but player skill means a lot more, I think, than the faction. Player, player skill is by far, and I do really do want to shackle on to that, what you just said there. Player skill is by far the biggest metric still in the game. Um, there are... Mance specifically breaking the 100 ELO barrier, um, and that isn't just some like mythical barrier, by the way. It is just uh, when somebody gets to significantly better than the rest of the pack, that's a problem. Now, if people weren't aware, I mean, you'll remember this, Clarence. 100 ELO. Uh, do you remember 1.6 Starks? And Mother yeah, of Dragons. Oh, yeah, Mother Dragons, yeah. Do you remember what ELO they were sat at at one point? I think it was awful. Oh, wait, not awful. Uh, was Howling like 120, 140? I don't remember. I think they were nearing 200 towards yeah. the end. Like, the balance was it was whack. Like, you know, and that was from less games. Um, Othal, you know, peaked at about 120, I think. Um, uh... I think was his true maximum peak um and again that's with faction rating kind of taken into account so um mance is is by far the best um is by far the strongest um but he's still not significantly far ahead than other things on the list we see him only 10 points ahead of eldon and about another 10 points ahead of donald donald was up at 90 literally like the other week when you combine everything you can see here is at plus 41 he's dropped six points he's effectively a drop of 12 for everything else um so yeah it's it's really not that far off but as you say uh, and Ilya says it you know there are some changes that maybe need to be made uh, in my opinion but in general it's pretty good and um, some people saying changes need to happen though because the meta or the game is stale and some people are saying that with new unit releases being a bit lackluster that it's causing a stale meta and that people want to leave um what's your i mean yeah yeah i don't disagree and that's i feel like if I, if i wasn't teaching these new players how to play the game uh, I might feel the same way, you know, because um, when I play against my buddy Rich Enline or my buddy Thranduil, we're kind of using the same stuff over and over and over again. I think I think Rich is trying uh, some Kevin and some and some Adam, but I think he's like, you know what? I'd rather just stick with Tyrion, and maybe he subs in. Is it Tyrion? I'm just thinking. I'm trying to remember his tools. He had a Tyrion list, and he had a he had a Roose Bolton list, but I think he might switch Roose Bolton to maybe Kevin instead. Um, yeah, so I, I do agree. I can see I see the meta getting a little bit stale, which is why I brought the campaign up as well, because if I feel like that's what's happening around the world, this is just a different way to play. Um, yeah, I, I do agree that it does feel like nothing much is changing anytime soon. Mm -hmm. It is definitely a case of with obviously new releases being a bit meh. Uh, that 
that doesn't help as well, right? The, the the units come out and it doesn't really do anything to the existing status quo. I'm not suggesting they should be overpowered. We've been there, right, Clarence? <laughs> um, yeah. Mother of Dragons and, and Mammoths were perhaps the worst release they've ever done in terms of balance. Um, but yeah, like, it's not it's one thing for saying it's all good and everything like that, but like, it's also one thing to say it doesn't need change. And it's very interesting. The game, the season one balance has not been out that long. Let's call it six months. Not even that. Um, nowhere near that, really. Uh, and people are calling for change. Because the meta is stale. Now... Yeah, I yeah, and I was going to say, I think it brings up a point you you guys have brought up many times, which is faction uh, interbalance is good, but internal balance, I guess, I'm not sure what the other word is, but the internal balance between factions is is, is not is not great. You know, when you look at Targs in particular, Lance in particular, you always see the same commanders over and over and over again. Uh, Night's Watch for me, you know, I only ever see John, maybe some Cotter Pike, maybe some Donald. I never see. Uh, the rest. So, you know, that is the next thing we need to work on to make the game interesting again is to give us a reason to explore these other commander options out there. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that's the thing is that you need... I'm not going to sit here and say they need to do balance more often, but having things that change the game more often, be it unit releases or faction boxes or balance is going to be important. And yet the problem is those are all bad things that, you know, you don't want a hero box to completely change the game because it probably means that it's stuff that's just stand out better than everything else what you're actively saying is we're gonna fuck up internal balance to make Greyjoy's good and that's yeah. like that's not actually a positive thing um yeah but yeah we'll see um there are rumors that you know there's going to be talk of an FAQ, um, rumors of a balance kind of like coming out. Um, I have no idea how far this is off. Um, it could be some time. Um, uh, Matthew says, well, I think stale can be unfun, but you take it over unbalanced. That is true. I would. I would take stale as being better than just straight unfun. Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. And unbalanced. For sure. Um, yeah, I was going to say that uh, you know it is a feels bad when I'm teaching a new player how to play with their Greyjoys, and I'm like, you know, but if you had Greyjoys Hero Two with Baron and uh, Baylor, then your faction would be like competitive. You know, like it should be fairly competitive out of the box with maybe one or two things. You know, you don't, you shouldn't have to take this one thing and now you're competitive. I think I I do, uh, I do think you can um, run a box and any faction should be able to run on starter, heroes one, and maybe a unit of choice. Like yeah. uh, three box purchase. Starter in two boxes should be enough to make at least a competent list. Um, yeah. Yeah. And the reason we, we've always said heroes box one being is like the most important thing, just simply because it's options. You know, you only get two commanders tend to in your your base box. So just having the access to more than two commanders is what's more, what's important. Uh, it's not actually that you need heroes two to be competitive or heroes one. Um, a hero box is just so important. Uh, it makes you have so many options. Um, yeah. 
And it's the recommended first buy for anyone, right? Regardless of power level, if any new player was playing the game, I would always tell them to pick up hero boxes, purely because characters as well. And for a new player, getting to see the characters and when they're learning the game, who gives a shit about power level of a list? Yeah. You want to see Alistair on the board, you want to see other things on the board. Um, yeah. Uh, Kieran's saying, due to the vid you got for the GT Cymru, he's running at Alistair at the LGT. Um that is something we didn't mention. Uh, I will uh, load this up quickly. Uh, you won't hear the sound on, on your end necessarily. Um, let's see if I can... Where'd I put it? I put it in here, didn't I? Yeah. Um, so, did you see or were you aware of the video that got posted um in or that scabman had for the uh for the grand tournament in in wales no uh he uh he was able to let's just pause that a second let's see if i can load it up here let us where are we We'll do it live. Fuck it, we'll do it live. Um, is this going to work first time? It never works first time, does it? Why do I always try and do this live? It's such a mistake. <laughs> um, so, there was uh, a video that um, he was able to uh, get. So let's show Discord. That'll do for now. Yes, I'm very aware that it's completely fucked everything up. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes. That, that was, was uh, That was the actor who plays Alistair Thorne um, actually making comment talking about uh, um, the GT and wishing Scabman and everything as well. Uh, obviously, good luck and everything. Um, yeah, if you haven't checked it out, it's on the G uh, UK GT Discord. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty good, so, isn't it? So so there's a couple of I think American sites. I don't. I, one of them's called Cameo. I can't remember mm -hmm. the other one's yeah. called. Where you can get celebrities to like send you like a happy birthday message. And I thought, oh, I think that that's probably what he used. But when I went to check the two big sites, I didn't see that actor on there. I was wondering how did he get that. I would love to know. Honestly, I'd love to know. Um, and I'm sure Scatters will probably tell us uh, how he got it. Yeah. Um, okay. But uh, that was awesome. Yeah, no, it is. It, it was really cool. Um, yeah. And it, if it randomly turns out he knows him, uh, that would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, I, I've got a question for you about commander rankings and stuff. And I asked yes. Carlo maybe a month ago, and my brain at the time could not understand what he was trying to tell me. So maybe you can explain better than he can. Okay. <laughs> right, let's go. <laughs> No pressure, no pressure. So if you go to the commander rankings where you see all the commanders, can you please scroll to the bottom? And I, I noticed something and I wanted I was looking into more information and I got really confused. So who's at the bottom? Because when I checked Rob Stark, okay, Rob Stark is near the bottom, right? Because yeah. I'm I play Starks a lot, as you probably know, and I was interested in Starks. Okay, so Rob Stark is the in this ranking, he is the worst Stark commander below Roderick. When you go to the filter section, can you filter for only Stark commanders? Because I think when you do that, something happens which confuses me, I believe. 
No, it's still there. Hmm. Okay, because something... I'm trying to remember now. Give me a second to go through my message. Okay, wait. Let me just think. What else can I do uh, to do this? Um, is there another way to rate things? Can you click on Rob Stark for a moment, if you don't mind? I just want to see something on his profile. Um, trying to remember how I, how I want to solve this. I know where there might be a thing. Okay. But, yeah. Let me very quickly check my... Oh, I'm already in. Did you, by any chance, look at yeah. their current ELO rating? And see it different I'm... on the Rob and Roderick pages. So it Roderick was, was rated more. lower, potentially. Yeah. Okay, let me double check here. Um, okay, how does Elo question is Elo question? I asked him. Rob was eighty third, and then in the bottom of the commander rankings, it was yeah, it was strange because when I looked at Elo versus commander rankings, Rob was on the bottom. But then we looked at just Starks. Now, what you show me is different. Rob went from being the bottom to being in the middle. And he was trying to explain to me how it made sense. And it just made no sense <laughs> at all to me, unfortunately. Um, what are you, are you looking at? Were you looking here? At this list? Yes. So where is Rob in this list? So okay, this is what confuses me. Yes. Explain. How can Rob be seventh here, but ninth? Right. Or bottom elsewhere. How does that work? <laughs> uh, right, yeah, cool. So, this is important. The Unity LO rankings for commanders um, is essentially the change that we have seen since Season 1. Because at the start of Season 1, the Unity LOs, I said we say unit, we should really call them component. We call them unit, but component ELOs were wiped. So all existing data did not go into the ELO ranking of that particular piece. Okay? Okay. okay. That means that the unit ELOs have only been collecting data since season one, or only utilized data from season one to generate their ELOs. That means that what we can say here is that Rob Stark has a negative, uh, call it 9.9 .9 for argument's sake, a negative 9.9 .9 rating in the unit ELO commander section. God, we're getting multiple subcategories here. Um, that means that Rob has changed since season one by 9.9 .9 in the negative direction. Right, so just make sure I understand. At season one, his ELO was wiped. Yep. He had like a zero rating, I guess you could say. Everyone and then did. Yep. Everyone did. And then from the beginning of season one till now, he has a negative nine point whatever rating. Yep. So he's effectively, okay. since season one has started, he has lost 9.9 .9 ELO. Which if we okay. go back up to Rob Commander up here, now we can't go back that far. Um simply like the the graphs don't allow it but you will see that he's actually gone up in the last 50 games but if you count all of his games since the start of season one he's actually dropped and i mean you've only got to look at some of the numbers there at 40 percent rate win rates had a good month in february and a not terrible april um but his win rate has been fluctuating but fairly consistently around the 40 area um, 
slightly higher than last year. But again, win rate can't be the only thing you go off. Because, of course, if you've got a, a high win rate, but all you're doing is beating bad things, then your actual ELO doesn't go up that much. Um, whereas if you've got a, a crap win rate, but when you do win, you're beating, say, awful crossbows, then your ELO will be actually a lot higher than the win rate would suggest. Um, not suggesting that that happens often. But win rate's not necessarily an identifier. Um, so, yeah. Rob has, since the start of Season 1, dropped a little bit. And he's making a comeback in the last 50 games. <laughs> Slowly. Um, so how is he on the bottom on one list, but not in the bottom? Because, so specifically, let's go back to here. Uh, you said Roderick uh, was off the bottom. Is it 83, right? Roderick Cassell. Um, at minus 52. Roderick is actually third in the Stark list at plus 1.7. So since the reset, Roderick has actually improved a little bit in the ELO. But he was still, he was really bad. He's now improved a bit. So what you're seeing here is you are in the unit ELO section. For commanders, you're seeing the relative change of the commander since season one not its actual ELO. Does that make sense? This only works for I commanders. Know. It doesn't work for other stuff. Um, commander ELO up here was not wiped. Oh. This hey. was. So this I tracks see. See. the change since the wipe. The previous data tracks all 2021 ELOs. Okay, I see. So, in other words, Rob... Wait a second. Why is Rob on the bottom? Wasn't Rob the best commander? Wait, sorry. This complete list... Right, sorry. No this one point, complete... There's no 1.6 data. Okay, 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 okay. So, the complete list is their ELO based on 2021. Yeah. But the... Yeah. Right. Sorry, hold on. So the complete list is the ELO based on just 2021. It does not count 1.6 and prior. Yeah, so Commander ELO rankings is Commander ELO rankings. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Unit ELO rankings is since Season 1, what has changed. Okay. Commander rankings is where are they from since the start of 2021. Uh, okay. okay, that makes a lot more sense. So 2021, Rob was pretty crap. Yeah. <laughs> Are you yeah. still crap? Yeah. But he has been doing better since the balance patch update, well, uh, which is worse, why he's not... Oh, he's worse. worse. He's actually gone worse since the balance patch update. Only marginally, but he's doing worse. But someone like Eddard, for example... Eddard's yes. a very good example. Eddard did came very well out of the balance patch. Uh, Eddard yes. Commander with the nerfing of the NCU. Very strong commander. Yep. You see he's got a ranking there of nearly 50. Yep. And if you go to his rank in the overall commander ELOs, he's at plus 14. So right. he's the highest rated commander, mm -hmm. but he's actually changed since the update considerably more than 14 points, say. He's actually he, risen so by nearly 50. Yeah, he was, so he probably wasn't the best pre-balance patch. Yeah. And then since the balance patch, he's climbed up Massive. to first place massively yeah okay 
Can I? Okay, so um, so let's just look at, for example, yes, Commander ELOs. So who's on the bottom right now in terms of? Okay, so Brendan Tully. So Brendan Tully. Brendan Tully is doing way worse. Yeah, minus fifteen. But he's not on the bottom because from season one he was probably middle of the pack somewhere, and he's mm-hmm. yeah. he's dropped the most, but he's not dropped below Rob. No. Rob was on the bottom, and he already dropped some. Brennan dropped more, but he didn't drop below didn't Rob. Didn't catch up so enough. Yeah. Right. So that's why Brennan's on the bottom in terms of Commander Eolo, but not on the bottom in the like big picture. It's important to note this bit here. It says Commander Eolo rankings not wiped. This is still it. This is still your Commander Eolo from 2021 and Season 1 together, where they are today. This one here is how much have they changed since Season 1. So this number... Okay. you, you yeah. Bad maths, right? And there may be little things that might make this not strictly speaking true. But let's take the Eddard Stark change of 49.38, right? We can successfully say at 49.38 that if we click on Eddard here, at the end of 2021, Eddard was 49.8 points lower than the 34 we see here. So he was at about a minus 15, give or take, right? At the end of 2021, I was at minus 15. Do it from this number, by the way, this number that you see on the screen here, not the number that you see here. Because, again, somebody asked this, why does Mance say plus 100 in the list, but once you click on him, it's plus 71? Every commander in this list is being modified by the faction rating. So although Eddard is at plus 30, 30... uh, no, 30, where is it? 34? Eddard is plus 34, but Stark is minus 19. Call it minus 20, for argument's sake. So the combined ELO for Eddard is plus 14. The difference between, or the accumulation of the points. So Free Folk in at 29.4. Uh, Mance is about 70. So you add them together and you get to 100. Um, 29 plus 71 is 100. Um, and if you wanted to care, the faction ELOs are simply a culmination of the commander ELOs. So not these ones, right? But if you click into, let's say we've got Rob already open with Eddard. If you were to add the ratings that you see here of minus 39, minus or plus 34, if you add those all up, you will end up with the end result for Starks being minus 19.711. Uh, that's how the maths interacts. That's how what you're seeing makes sense. Um, okay. So it's interesting. So, I mean, uh, someone mentioned it there. Night's Watch, for example. You can see Offal's still up at 78, right? But if we change to Night's Watch Commanders here, we can see that Offal's been the current biggest loser for Night's Watch, dropping 25 points since the update. Yeah. Which this is, Yeah, this is such a great example of how why the numbers don't mean the same thing at yes. all. Yeah. Yeah, he's still one of the top-rated commanders, but he received a massive nerf. He's dropped 25 points. Should he still have 78? That's a question that we could talk about. But the truth of the matter is is that he's not getting played 
because people yes. think he's so bad. Yes. And actually, the stats are suggesting, yeah, he's fucking bad now. Um, hmm. That does bring up questions about should we reset uh, commander data? Not There's a reason we didn't reset commander ELOs that I'm not going to discuss now. Uh, that was a choice that was made um, way before the patch even came out. Um, there's a debate whether or not that should happen if there's a significant change in the structure. Um, but the truth of the matter is this is a relatively small balance patch. Like, it shouldn't have a huge impact. Um, it obviously did, but it requires people to play, and you've got to look, I mean, his play rate, 2021, huge. His play rate in Season 1 is pathetically small in comparison. Um, if you genuinely telling me that an entire month he got played 24 times, that was sometimes the amount of times he got played in one event back in uh, 2021. Um, so... Yeah. Yeah, and you can see his win rate. 62%, nearly 63% in 2021. Averaging 40-something, maybe? Mm -hmm. It's a 20% win rate drop. Um, so, yeah. He needs a higher um, pick rate. I was going to ask, like... What happens... Okay, so I know that ELO is used in a lot of the games, predominantly chess, for example... What happens to a, a, a chess player who has a really high rating but then stops playing? Like, the, their elo doesn't decay over time, does it? No. So same here. Othel won't decay, really, if no one plays him. He'll stay up there, even though, presumably, he's not really the best or second best uh, Night's Watch commander. They, um... There is... <laughs> there is a there people talk about adding decay in right and there is a thing in um it's a thing in larger or i should say more niche things um so when we talk about the average player right the average player when you enter uh stats you're 1500 rated that's the average that uh, is set by carlo um so that means uh, it's a zero-sum game as well. It doesn't matter how many players there are in the system. If you add up all the points everyone's got, add them together, divide it by the number of players, it goes back to 1,500. Simple as that. Yeah. Um, there are cases, if you said, what is the average active player ELO, then we couldn't necessarily work that out easily or quickly. Uh, we'd have to do a hell of a lot. You know, It's very hard to assess that because there's mm. thousands of players, but we could, in theory, assess that and say, okay, do people who lose typically then stop playing? Um, yeah. That isn't always the case, by the way. Uh, me and Carlo used to... It's, it's actually this very weird thing where players that consistently lose, and I do mean lose a lot, actually play more. It's really weird. Um, whereas people who only play lose a little bit then stop. Um, very famously, me and Carlo followed on uh, when we first went online, um, and we followed a player who we we quite literally watched him play games. We saw him, we spoke to him, and things like that. But we watch his ELO drop because he just lost games, lost games, lost games, lost games, lost games, and then we finally came across a game that he won, and he then started winning games, right? Um, and it was a mixture; it was almost like 50-50 win rate. 
Um, and his ELO climbed back up. Um, but it was very interesting for us because it was almost like, I mean, kid you not, everyone like here thinking, oh, just them being interested. No, this guy like 40 games on the bounce or something like that lost. Um, his ELO was very, very low and he got low relatively faster than anyone else had. Uh, and that made him interesting to watch. Um, it made him interesting to analyze and look at. Uh, whereas actually, you know, players around 1500, maybe he's just above or just below, they play be a couple of games on stats and that's it. Um, if you were to look at active players' games, so perhaps people who played in the last two months, I'm not going to say a conclusion and say that they will be higher, right? But in general, people stop playing games they don't win. So as a result, you typically expect the active player number to be a higher average. Uh, this is true in other games. Very famously, um, chess has it to some extent, but also true in um, in Age of Empires. Age of Empires uses an ELO system, very much like it. Now, they had another issue, which we have mentioned before in the way that they calculated ELO for team games. Uh, they broke ELO for team games, so it wasn't zero-sum anymore which immediately has all kinds of problems in the scenario um, because all of a sudden your average player rating goes up by dint of just people playing games, which it shouldn't. That's the point. Um, but ELO in Age of Empires, they assess it and they actually have to sometimes readdress what the average player's ELO is because they have dropout. People lose a little bit. People play, come in at like 1,000 or whatever. They lose 10 games. They drop to like 900. Then they leave. So they donated 100 points to the pool. They're still holding back 900. But actually, now that the average player rating has actually gone up, if you only count active players, because there was the active players before, plus this 100 floating ELO from that guy who left. Um, so you do have what we refer to as like average player inflation or active player inflation. Um, but... Like that—that's what exists in online games. I, with Carlo's system, you could argue the same thing happens, but you, then you're assuming that only players who lose leave, uh, which again is an assumption. Um, hmm. I would be interested if anyone particularly wants to do a study on active players. You know, you could say who played games in the last two months, say, um, on stats. Then you could like maybe analyze it that way um, and look at where the average player is there. But I mean, yeah. <sighs> Unless you were willing to do it using some software, probably you'd have to write some software for it. There are yeah. what? How many? To manually check. <laughs> to casually manually check 2,293 players. Um, I'm not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you yeah. You need a lot of spare time. You, know, you need a lot but yeah, so that that could be something that could be quite interesting for people to do, um, and quite an interesting analysis um, down there. But it's actually very interesting because we say we talk about average ELO, and I just want to not to highlight him out, but Fizzwiz, for example, down here at the very bottom end of the scale, active player at Dead Matter. Yeah, he plays games like relatively accurate uh, regularly. We've got um, these are players that I actually know as well. Uh, up here, Fuzzage, Final Aims. These are guys who played in events this weekend, just gone. Like Fuzzage was at uh, the Welsh GT, and I don't know if Final played there. 
No, he played his last games were back in May. Um, but again, players that I recognise and players that I've seen. Um, and that's not to say that you know oh, they're low rated, but the point being is that they're still playing games down here. It like mm -hmm. ELO is just a number ultimately. It's not important. It doesn't decide whether you play games or not. But there is a tendency to see drop off with people who win less. Yeah, there is, um, and, and I, I I I get it. You know, people take sometimes take it too seriously. Um, I uh, again, you know, we've we've run a couple of events at the local shop and. Uh, you know, you got up some of your game's stats, reload changes, and then like this next week, I came in and I played the guy I played at the tournament. I said, "Did you want to log your game on stats?" And he goes, "No, I'd, I'd rather not. You know, it's a lot of pressure for me when my game is being recorded on stats." I'm like, "Okay, fair enough. You don't want to. It's totally cool." Um, and we went from there. You know, and and there's a lot of new players, and even though like they do have an account on stats, I don't feel right telling them to log their like learning game with me on stats either. So. Uh, but I'll, I'll ask eventually, you know, once, they, once I feel like they are comfortable enough, uh, if they want to log their game. Um, yeah, because, you know, if without user data, you know, the, the site kind of, like, doesn't work, right? doesn't, work. It doesn't give you modern, you know, uh, doesn't give you a modern snapshot at all of what's, what's happening in the game. So I do, I do like some results, but I understand when new, new players have that trepidation of being judged or something like that. I think it's, it's one of the weird things, like, I mean, I... Said it before, say again. I will use the site for every game I play. Uh, unless an opponent... Like, an opponent I want to play against literally says, no, I'm not doing it. I will do it. Um, regardless of learning game or not. Because for me, like, learning the game, it allows me to teach them the site at the same time. Like, there you go, I can teach them how to do that. And second of yeah. all, I actually want to get past, you know, this big irony... I think we joke about it a lot and certainly members of the stats community take the piss out of each other for it. Um, but actually, like, yellow really is just a number. And I know it's it's all right. It's all right. Somebody who's... People always say, oh, but you've got... Your number's big. You can just say that. And it's like, well, no, it is just a number at the end of the day. Uh, it indicates skill. Um, but at the end of the day, it is just a number. Like, it doesn't matter. Um, I am willing to put my ELO on the line for every game I play because in the end of the day, that's what I am as a skilled player. I should be performing at that level. If someone comes along at 1500 and thrashes me and I lose like 50 points or something stupid like that, then that's my fault. I shouldn't have lost to somebody that I like the stats site thinks is worse than me. Um, or that player is really good, you know, ultimately. And they deserve to be up there. So, you know, kudos to them. Um, yeah. And that's not meant to be disparaging towards the, the lower level player at all. If I win, I'm going to get like virtually no points. <laughs> it's a zero. It's, there is really no loss to, to that as the new player. Um, that is the funny thing, right? Is that, is that you know, I think when I, I've thought about, uh, I thought about telling these players that, you know, when you lose your games, your rating goes down, like you lose less and less and I gain less and less. And, if you ever beat me, it's gonna be a huge flip. I feel like it doesn't matter. I feel like they're just like you're just trying to con me into padding your ELO score. You know, like <laughs> no matter what you say, mm -hmm. you're just trying to uh, sucker me into like submitting results or something. I don't know. The truth. But, uh, <laughs> the truth. Don't take it too seriously. Yeah. yeah, just don't take it too seriously. That's the thing is that like, and anyone here who does like, just don't like. It's not really that important. And um, there are players on this list. You know, there are players on this list who I look at and go. 
how the fuck have you got a high ELO? I mean, I'm not joking. Some players, I'm like, I personally think you're shit. <laughs> um, and there are other people on the list who are like, and go, how the fuck are you not higher rated? You're way better than that. Um, so the ELOs are just an indicator and it's about average performance level. Um, and again, average performance level only works, you know, we've talked about it briefly with Jasper, right? Jasper plays a lot in Italy and he has now played with some French and Italian, uh, sorry, French and Spanish players. But Jasper's ELO is what we call relatively uh, secluded. It's isolated. He hasn't played that much outside of the Italian group. So yes, Jasper might be up here with 1955. But if you go down to the bottom of the list, there's Italian players down here with, what, 300 points less than what you typically see, 200 to 300 points less than the average. So these players here are probably the worst players of those Italian groups. And Jasper's probably the best. And the Italian group is big enough to allow us that spread. But if Jasper was to play one of them, and that other guy wins, Jasper loses like close to 50 points. He gets fucked. Just boom. Have that. Uh, depending on the level of victory. If it's a crushing win, it stays at 50. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. I his name up before, but Orgy Bill, we played a game online, you know, months <laughs> later after the LVO, and he said to me, people take their ELO so seriously, but all it is is a reflection of your skill in a game it's not you as a person it's not you know your intelligence as a human being it's just how good are you at this particular game and if it's low then yeah you maybe you're not great now but you can that can change with time and you know it's really like i think at that time i was coming off like my my earlier wins in, in the game and i i took my elo very seriously and the way he put it uh just put everything into context it's just how good you are at the game right now that's all it is yeah 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 and if people are pretty good at the game they'll keep rising um and it's as important as any this thing it's, it's it's as as important as you would want to take it uh it's yes. not important like i'll be honest with you yeah. the oh jesus this is a mistake wasn't it um the only reason yeah. i care about elo and this is where i do care about it a little bit more than just being a number is I like being near the top, personally, mainly because I want to try and knock Mikel off the top spot constantly. Um, <laughs> but it's not that. When I look at a player, for example, looking for game, I will have a quick look at their ELO, and I will say, if I want to play that individual, what kind of expectation can I have from the game? And if I see them at a 1500 ELO, I know that I can waltz into that game with Mance, and I shouldn't lose. Like, the truth of the matter is, I shouldn't lose. Um, I'm assuming 1,500 with games under the belt. So I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to waltz into the game and play tournament-ready lists and things like that. I'm going to play experimental, kind of like um, weird jank, kind of like Dagmar thing, or um, some weird mountain that rides, kind of like or Gregor Commander-type list, or a Tywin list or something, to test something out. Um and I'm probably going to you know, play against an opponent who does know what they're doing, but might not be very good. I should still win because my ELO is so much higher, right? But I make the game fairer for myself and for my opponent by effectively making myself play worse, by playing a worse list, by playing worse factions, by playing worse commanders. Um, my opponent gets more out of that because they are playing a more even game. 
I get more out of it because I'm playing a more even game. And the ELO change is still relatively small, unless they're playing Mance against something like, uh, like we're saying they're Rob or something. In which case, oh, you've managed to change the gap by 160, so we're still 300 points apart. So it's still a relatively <laughs> tiny ELO change if if I win. Yeah. Um, so as a result, it just makes the games more fun for my opponent as much as it does me. Um, that's why I do it. If I was to walk into, and again, I'm not trying to say that I'm some kind of messiah, but if I was to give any half-decent player a man's list and let them walk into, or a John list, for example, uh, and let them walk into an opponent who's new to the game, I'd expect them to win. <laughs> um, and that wouldn't be... That would actually be worse than giving a shit about this number. Like, that's the thing. Um... So yeah, that's I use it as a balancing tool, purely as that. Um, that and when I'm playing against other good players, sometimes I look and go, okay, what's the worst commander I think I can beat this player with? Uh, which is also fun as well. Because <laughs> um, against Moriello, which is, you know, more off them. <laughs> Juicy points. Uh, yeah. No. Just, it's just a number. It's there to that's help balance the game and balance... This number, by the way, everyone's like, oh, but you can have casual and competitive. No, uh, we've done that before. Doesn't work. Um, <laughs> and and more importantly, you need this data to help you generate all the other ELOs. Like, this is inherently part of the system. You can't separate this from everything else. Because if, if you're saying, like, casual doesn't rate your ELO, then it would say, okay, so you're saying that me specifically me with a manse list is rated what compared to say insert new player here with rob now the truth of the matter is it should be a whitewash and then you're like oh but that could have been two new players playing so we'll rate it this way and we'll give it much more significance than it actually is worth it's not worth significantly much in the data but because we have this casual game where you can log to the stats, it, it doesn't function. Um, you would need to use these rankings anyway. So this is casual gaming to me. Like, this is casual. Uh, numbers go up and down. Could you check with uh, Tom Tyler's uh, ELO change over the weekend? Because he was already pretty highly rated. I wonder if playing neutrals all weekend uh, gave him a big difference or not. Mm. So he's at 100 and... 87.1 now he played six games over the weekend so we want game 190 188 so you can see here just before the event yeah so he was 180 uh 1815 called it 16 um he has gone up 16 to 71 so uh yeah. wow quick maths um 55 points over the weekend 55 points with a three for five win one loss one loss of course coming into mance as well um so the loss set him back 27 down to from 42 to 27 so it was about 15 14 15 points um but he was playing a lower rated player because jacob well 
higher rated player now jacob is now uh, about equal rated player yeah so if you're playing an equal rated player obviously commanders matter a little less when it comes to Riello and it's more of a result um Okay, but he was using Mance versus Ramsey, so that's got to be a big gap too, right? Oh, that's it'd have been like a, about 150 point gap. So he got crushing lost, mm. and the opponent oh. only gained 15 points. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Which would normally yeah. be 25 that, if they were even. That's part of the worry for you, you and Mikel and 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 Sir Jacob is that you guys can use the worst stuff, but you're you're right rating so high that it'll still take a pretty big loss to anybody pretty, yeah. pretty much at this point in terms of Elo is. Yeah. Yeah. So. Unless you play each other. Yeah, well, that's the thing, right? Uh, you, you play each other. And again, this is the benefit, right? Uh, one of the benefits of ELOs, if I'm looking to play a game, if I'm all, in all honesty, who should I be playing against? These same top players, right? That would give me the closest game. So it incentivizes playing people of your rank or above. Yeah. There is yep. actually zero point, and I taught that whole thing before about playing an average player. I'll play average players any day if they want a game. They offer to play and things like that. Um, but there is zero incentive for me to play those average players when it comes to the rankings. And that isn't to say I'll brush them off and not play against them. But wailing on wailing wailing on players who are just not as experienced who aren't as good or are new to the game whatever you want to call it um wailing on players like that to gain elo points simply just doesn't work um, so and there's no point you know yeah yeah um yeah we call that a phrase it often gets uh used is seal clubbing uh seal clubbing doesn't work don't do it um seal clubbing can crushing yeah yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's a long and short of it. We were a massive diatribe there, and we've gone uh, way off topic. But I'm glad you asked the questions, because if we don't ask the questions, then we don't cover the information. And if we don't cover the information, then people might not know. Even Thank you for that. I, yeah, that, that, the, the, the difference between Commander ELO and Unit ELO was really confusing me, so thank you for the explanation. That really helped. Nice, all right. So... Should we get on to the last uh, the last part of today, which is looking at tournaments, of course? Yeah. I'm going to change this and watch as you disappear. Are we ready? Oh, I said you'd disappear, and look, you disappeared. He's back, oh. and he's bigger. Ooh. <laughs> Surprise bigness. There we go. <laughs> so, um, yes. So, uh, events, we've got coming up and uh, past events i did actually just want to, have to look at the gt uh, i was following along with it a little bit over the weekend um and uh yeah obviously uh, it went really well Oops. whoa i accidentally clicked create my own tournament let's not do that right now um <laughs> actually there's a good question while we're talking about it thoughts on unit spam says matthew malovich um I actually thought about this a lot myself, and I got to say, I think I've talked about it before, you know, Song is in incredibly well designed such that you don't often see unit spam. Not like 40k or other games where it's like, well, this thing is clearly the best, I'll take the maximum amount that I can. Um, the way the tactics board interacts with the missions means that, you know, you want to take some cavalry, you want to take some archers, you want to take some units that can camp, you want to take some units that are cheap activations, you want to take some elite stuff. 
generally speaking, you know, you are incentivized to actually take a diverse list, I'd say. Uh, whereas, but that, that's, that's not always true. You know, some lists do take more than one unit in multiples. Um, Free Folk being one of them, they take a lot of Raiders, perhaps. Um, Greyjoys, maybe, with Bowmen. But aside from that, you know, you see maybe doubles, but rarely do you see triples, I'd say, of any one unit. Uh, except for extremely, like, uh, edge cases. Like, I think people are talking about triple Warrior Sun, Adam, lists. But, you know, generally speaking, you see doubles, but not often you see triples. Mm -hmm. That is true. Um, it is rarer to see uh, triples. Um, doubles are quite common, though. Yeah. Um, Matthew's saying that uh, he spammed High Garden Riders and destroyed Night's Watch, um, or triple Rose Knights. Um just people saying triple heavy cavalry and glory seeker is the other kind of skew that we saw which uh steve played um now a little bit of a caveat here steve went three for three i think on day one with his uh eddard list and then uh they had a drink on the saturday night and got pissed so he says he was hanging out of his ass on saturday morning um when he played against jacob <laughs> um and jacob smashed him and he went on to lose all three he literally lost all three games on the saturday uh sorry on the sunday so i don't know if he genuinely was just like absolutely hanging out of his ass uh so steve didn't end up doing that well um but he did run the eddard uh high cat like spam list yeah yes someone someone brought this up like midweek like how do you beat it or um or like it just kills you and things like that and, and the truth of the matter is like a good player with the right tools in their own list, will just beat it. Um, things like preventing it from charging, just not allowing it to have charge actions. People say, oh, if it's cav, how can you not allow it to have charges? Well, you don't give it charges it wants, you know? Especially if you are activating it. Go, yeah, charge the front of this unit if you want, but if you do, I'm going to fuck you in the flank with this unit. Um, oh, right, you're out activated. Cool. So you can't stop that happening. Um, and then you build from there and you go on and um you engage first you trap them in positions where they can't move uh, or find it difficult to get a charge they is going to be beneficial for them and you just pick them apart um but again that's the power of activation advantage um it's knowing how to utilize what activation advantage is and we've talked about it on and off and we will do perhaps a video on it as part of tony grounds or uh, a video on tempo and things like that like activation advantage is a hugely important tool in the game that once you understand it and understand what it leverages you in a game then you can get massive advantages out of it so while things like this look very scary you can manufacture parts of the game where it's like, right, you're now done for the round. Now I get to play my game and I come and kill you. Yeah. Um, yeah it's shocking how often the glory seekers don't do anything sometimes. Yeah. yeah you can't heal something that's dead. Yeah. Like, exactly. Dead. <laughs> um, and, you know, you're we running a seven activation list, two or three activations after that, and it's a six activation, Jesus. Two or three or four activations after that, yeah, one of those units is dead. Um, yeah. so yeah um, yeah no as a, a as a overall uh, thing yeah um, I think it's just a case of knowing 
how to beat a certain list or a certain style more so than it is uh like unit spam or anything like that but unit spam personally i always think is bad there are very few units in the game that i'd ever want to spam because the way that song of ice and fire works there are often very few units that truly give you a good variety of options there are skews people run like the champions uh champion lists or the heavy cav list skews people run warrior spam skew now that we're seeing these are skews that have impact and they are hard to beat but like anything the moment somebody runs a skew if you're a good player or you've factored into how to beat that skew with either a way of playing the scenario a way a style or a particular tech piece in the list then that skew no longer becomes a danger for you um yeah it's almost formulaic like playing against some skews out there it's almost formulaic i can almost tell you exactly how the game is going to play out round by round sometimes position by position in some cases i can tell you how i'm going to score the points in which areas um and you watch it happen and you go oh yeah that happened and you go yeah because your list does one thing and if i don't do that one thing that you do or want me to do you won't win. Um, yeah yeah I, I guess you can also look at it like you know if you look at the, the counts right if every activation is eight or nine points what's the downside of doing this kind of skew multiplicating cav list is that you're going to run out of activations What's the problem taking all archers? If I take just Lightbringers, is that if you get into combat with them, which is not impossible, then they're rubbish. What's the problem with taking, let's say, all Wardens, is that your army is incredibly slow and flexible, you know? So, yeah, there's there's no one unit. Now, let's say you sit, look at Ranger Hunters. You're like, well, Ranger Hunters are, are amazing. Let's just take a whole army of Ranger Hunters. Well, what would that look like? You know, let's say you take 12 points of NCUs, you've got 20 points left, you're left with four trays of Ranger Hunters, that actually doesn't sound terrible, to be honest with you. <laughs> Probably not, right? That's the thing. Probably not. Um, nice watch things. But even so, like, it's not a good, like, the the nine or ten activation builds we see, nine activation build, Night's Watch, is something very similar to that. It's three NCUs, it's two Ranger Hunters with Watch Captains, there you go, there's uh, seven activations, and then you've got just enough points to take some kind of, like, conscripts or ghost. Conscripts and ghosts, there you go, done. Uh, yeah, the, the reality is, uh, yeah, seven is just too low, right? Four ranger hunters and, and three and two sounds good, but the reality is, like, Night's Watch are typically hitting eight or nine regular, and that means that, yeah, I've got four units, but then when my one unit can just charge in at the right time and explode you, it doesn't matter that they're all good units. You know, you're gonna, you're eventually gonna go down, and you've got conscripts healing and what else to keep your, your, your acutes alive, then it's okay that they're in the back just hanging out. But there, I mean, ranger hunters are one of the few units in the game which are probably we could discuss if they were overcosted. I don't actually think they are. Sorry, undercosted. I don't actually think they are. They might be a bit over the top in terms of their abilities. Um but I don't think they're overpowered per se. Um it is more watch captains that power them up. But it is interesting so hunters are up there challenging with free freight raiders. Which are, you know, absolute meta defining units. Um I was gonna say though, sense. even in your in your typical uh, free folk list, you don't take more than two raiders. I don't think typically do you. I don't. Yeah, and I, I've seen a lot of lists kind of like yours, and no one takes more than two. You know, it's like two raiders, two trappers, 
a Fen, a Chariot, three NCUs, and everything has a purpose, right? Everything has a reason why it's there. The list that man uh, that Jacob won the event with is right. the list that I have been playing the whole time. Right. Like it is literally <laughs> the list that I built. Um, I think Drogon has the same list too. <laughs> Drogon, Ross, yeah, runs exactly the same list again. Yeah. He is, then runs a Mantis variant with Mag, which I have run. Yeah basically this exact list as well a long time yeah. ago i don't like it as much uh, i did kind of like play around with both um could you could you quickly maybe explain then why do you take two and not three like why not more raiders why why two trappers why not one trapper and raiders, raiders are terrible like, like raiders are obviously good right and there is one problem i will say which is again going back to unit skew I fundamentally believe that while raiders have insignificant, they will always have a high rating because running stupid numbers of raiders in a list, making players not get points from killing you, will simply win you games. Right? The reason I say, as a competitive player, that I don't like that list is A, I actually just don't like it. I, I personally don't want to play that list. I don't think it's the most powerful list, and I don't think it's that good. Um, I'd rather not play into the mechanic to win me the game. I'd rather try and outplay my opponent to win. That's a personal thing. Um, I hate Raider Spam. I, I hate it. Um, that being said, I actually do think it's also weak into the game, in that I believe that it is possible to abuse those types of lists. And I have run into those lists, and I have abused them in the past um, by not playing into what they want to do because I know the game plan, and I also know what the weaknesses are. Um, that being said, they still will win games because players will try and kill them, and they won't kill them fast enough. And the free for player wins on objectives. Um, yeah, so there's that. Um, so I don't take more raiders. I I take one raider unit, which is the free foot raiders with torment. Um, that's my my one raider unit in the list. And you're probably saying there's a second raider unit there. Yes, I take free foot raiders with the raid leader because I had four points and I deliberately wanted an infantry unit that wasn't a trapper unit for what I wanted in the role. Um, so I put free foot raiders with the raid leader in there because it's insignificant partially, but also actually. Because I really want gang up. I really want the threat of gang up in the list. Um, that's it. Every other slot in this list. The only reason I take free threat raiders of torment is because having a two point, a, a two morale with a weirwood unit as a bolster in the middle of the board. I want the best armor save I can possibly afford at cheap as I can possibly afford it. I don't want to pay seven points for fens doing that. It's too expensive. I'd rather play five points for free threat raiders doing it for what the one extra point of morale and the, the one extra armor point and the hold the line damage isn't worth it. Um, but I will run Thens with Harmer because Thens with Harmer is a joke and is the dumbest shit ever to exist in the game. Uh, if you don't know why, Sentinel's fucking dumb when you've got things like hold the line because you can force yourself to be engaged on not your activation. Then you activate and hold the line and then kick the shit out of someone. Um, there's that. And also Harmer's just fucking stupid if anyone's never seen and looked at harmer by the way for two points sentinel's good fine one point ability not particularly amazing 
anybody who knows anything about the game knows that movement matters. And I, when I played against Belisarius last week, uh, the other week, I said this to him in the post-game chat. Movement is how rank and flank games work. You win games by outmaneuvering your opponent. The dice rolling bit is largely irrelevant if you can outmaneuver your opponent because their dice are statistically worse than yours. There are cases where that's not even if their stats are just simply that much better, then you can't outmaneuver them. Hence, old awful. Um, you just couldn't outmaneuver it. Uh, but Targs tried, and Targs could sometimes, uh, as could Lannisters sometimes, and as could Free Freight Raider Spam. But maneuverability movement around the board is just another aspect of control use it and being able to have an extra movement point which is two extra movement inches on a march and being able to pivot before marching is fucking nuts um then you regret yep then you got val I actually very rarely use Val with this unit. Um, yeah, interesting because where Val falls in the turn structure, or in the round structure, usually means that you don't really want to Val this unit because this is already in a position where it should have been earlier. Um, but yes, like the options are ridiculous. Um, plus Val sounds really weird. Val isn't a maneuver anymore. Val nowadays is more like a retreat. Uh, retreats are retreats are good retreats are very good um but yeah so just five movement infantry unit make it six movement stick your grit on if you want make it seven movement pivot in any direction you want ignore the rough terrain and go 14 inches in that direction you're laughing um it's your cavalry. Cav. it's cavalry yeah yeah forget um, the bear riders this is the real cav yeah, this is this is that for eight for eight points, bear cav. Instead, you can pay seven for this, and this is better than cav. Um, the only difference is cav can charge behind them. But if you're getting outmaneuvered like that as a free vote player, you've probably most lost most of your line already. So you're probably gonna lose the game anyway. So who gives a shit? Um, so yeah. Anyway, I think the list is very good. Uh, there's a reason I've played a hell of a lot of it, and. Uh, it doesn't lose many games. Um, as Jacob. Yeah, and, and I was going to say, in other games, I definitely spam. You know, when I when I look yeah. at playing 40k or 30k, yes, I spam Dread Knights and I spam Contender Dreadnoughts because they're amazing, right? But I don't spam in this game because you're not really incentivized to do so, you know? If it was the way to win, people would spam nothing, but people people don't. There have been cases where spam is good. Um, you know, we arguably saw it last... <laughs> Like last uh, last edition with Othel, it was like crossbowmen and conscripts. You any version of those two together with each other and watch captains, you you win. Um, you know, yeah. uh, to some extent, poor fellow spam for Lannisters a little bit. Um, uh, yeah, that's about it really. Probably, uh, obviously, in one point six was direwolf spam. You could argue it was dragon spam. Eh arguably but obviously insignificant spam was three folks like go to 1.6 list um anything like that yeah but not today not today no um doug how'd you beat the list i can't tell you that doug i can't tell you that um, maybe after the lgt <laughs> there are counters i i've said it before i do think drogo specifically targaryen drogo 
is a horrible matchup for free folk in general um there are ways that free folk can manip manipulate it but if they're running an eight activation drogo list there's a chance you're only one activation up on them and they can hold an engagement range which you can't quite close if the tag player knows what they're doing and is a very good player like equal skill the tag player can go ham with drogo basically and just go right assault orders and and if drogo gets in to just killing lots of free folk off at the start of the game then that is bad uh that is bad for the free folk player um Ross says triple lightbringers. Uh, yes, I actually do believe the, the kind of like solution inverted commas that I came up to um, for this is for Belisarius. I actually saved it because, you know, I knew I'd use it at some point. And I don't even think this is a correct answer, right? But Stannis Baratheon, Relors Queensmen, Lightbringer, 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 Melisandre, Jack, and Tycho. And the idea of this list is that you are not going to stop them engaging with you so you're not going to try and engage with them um free folk one of the strengths that free folk has is they don't want to be engaged and then they want to be engaged together in one go one of the strengths that baratheons have is being engaged but free folk never want to be engaged against you until they're, you've activated out until they get to surround you you're gonna get out activated you can't stop it so don't fucking try um, what you want is the largest amount of damage output without being engaged. And this is the largest amount of damage output that you can possibly have without being engaged. And you then have Stannis OTK and Queen's Men because you can cycle those heal cards and those token cards, which are the only things you care about because they work regardless of how engaged you are or are not. You can just keep cycling through them, get them going. Um, and you just say look things are going to die and you kill it that way that's how i would do it i think it's really cool so i didn't think ross was telling me the same thing and, and I'm, I'm like i can see the point of this list but i just can't i don't want to buy three trays of like bringers no no like, I, I, I don't believe <laughs> i don't believe this list is necessarily a good counter right this is the thing i come from it and i, I kid you not i come from it from the perspective of I don't know if Baratheons can beat Free Folk if piloted properly. So I go, okay, what would I not want to see against me? And that would make me have to think a hell of a lot in terms of the game. And it would yeah. be this. Um, and you just punish. Just constant punish. Nothing in Free Folk interacts with Melisandre, Jack, or Tycho. Except Wilding Diplomacy and things like that, which you can choose whether or not to, to burn two Melisandre's all game maybe's um that's up to you uh nothing interacts with the shots except sentinel like shooting fucks free folk because they don't do anything against it there's not a single free folk card in the deck anything in the free folk roster that does anything of when you are shot nothing except sentinel which is why i have in sentinel in basically every single free folk list because the thing i'm most afraid of is ranged by far the most thing i'm afraid of um, yeah a melon jacken they solve the other problem that the lightbringers don't want to see and people think i'm mental when i say this just target the chariot it's the same morale as well it's the same morale as everything else right 
I'm just saying, like, it's so fast, it's hard to actually get a beat of them. But my point is, like, Mel, Mel and Jack, and they don't do my way well. Oh, sorry, I mean, with the, with the Mel. Yeah, might if as everything, well. If everything's will... morale 5, target the activation with six, more, uh, 6 wounds rather than the one with 12. Yeah. And they can't heal it. Because Ruben Reform doesn't work, so they've only got Craster or Bags. Like... Yeah, no, I, I hate that chariot. That chariot is the, is the most stressful thing ben, playing against me, honestly. I don't yeah. want to play into this, because I there are times where I'm like, I'm just going to lose this game if I don't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. So I have to come in, and it forces me to play fast and loose, and... If I'm playing fast and loose, I'm not controlling the movement as much. And if I'm not controlling the movement as much, it makes it harder to win. Um, yeah. Rip some palisades down the middle, slow down some more, you know? Yep. Yep. Make the game a living fucking hell. Uh, thoughts on countering life, uh, light cav spam? Bogs. Just take away the charge rerolls. Um, have one defensive unit um activate immediately after being charged so you can realign put terrain down that's going to block multiple engagements so uh like palisades and stuff anything that makes the game slower and bogs it down do that charge block a lot um deploy loot units so they're far enough away where you can't get into the flank of other units while also being close enough um so that they block like they block a flank charge but they're far enough away so that you can't necessarily easily gang up two on one. Um, that kind of thing. Yeah, close enough, far enough away, whatever. Um, yeah. That would be my only thoughts. Um, anyway, we'll go back to tournaments. Jesus Christ, that went off a tangent. <laughs> that was a detour. <laughs> detour! Right, so... Uh, um, the event in West Coast went well. Uh, Lannis is posting another strong win rate. Adam is doing very well. Um, and of course, over in Wales, uh, we saw Ramsey uh, with uh, Tom piloting that, being doing quite well. But Mance Raider there with 16 games played, 12 wins. Uh, 75% win rate. Very good. And the rest of the free folk, uh, 50% win rate. So... Um, uh yeah very strong very strong overall uh showing there um starks had a sad event with the 25 percent brathians at 33 yeah i was looking for some brathian inspiration and i was not inspired (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh paul said fully neutralist only uh only lost its final game of the day and finished 3-1 yeah neutrals are doing like neutrals can do well um bruce or ramsey led neutrals with almost entirely relying on flayed men um can do fine like flayed men are still good uh the neutral deck supports them relatively well it's just that they don't have activation advantage so i mean uh those of you who watched tom tyler's game against me for example tom tyler did very well in the invitational uh event trying to get uh, a spot for the invitational he did quite well up until the game he played against me and it was a whitewash um because you can control control the map way better uh, with more activations. Uh, but it is still hard. I'm not going to say it's an easy game. Free, uh, neutrals have got tricks. So, uh, we'll go through what's coming up. Because um, it is getting late. So, we have 
will be on the wall in uh, Nuremberg. It's a two-player event, so I imagine that's quite a small one. That's happening tomorrow. Best of luck to the two guys in that. <laughs> There's an event happening on Saturday called William Defoe, which is over a week. Really? I don't even... Is he showing it himself? Is, is William Defoe going to be in the event? That would be amazing. I need to see if he signed up. No, he hasn't. Damn it, no, he lied to me. Um, but I obviously, I hope that goes well down in Bath. We've got an event happening in Pruskow, Polska, where we'll be without a Polish event. Uh, we have um, another event happening in Poland as well, in Lublin. We have an event happening in uh, Barcelona, uh, in Spain, so that's fantastic there. Uh, an event happening in Russia, brilliant, love to see it. Uh, one in Belgium this weekend as well, and one in Exeter at Whipton Village Road. Um, we've also got one happening in the Netherlands. Uh, we haven't had a thing. I haven't had an event in the Netherlands in a little while, so that's good to see. Um, one happening in Kansas, Overland Park, um, Kansas City, I'm guessing. Uh, so yeah, that, hope that one goes really well. We've also, and that's it for the week. That's next week. Yep, yeah, cool. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Nine ten if you count the other two. Eight to ten events happening this weekend. Uh Ariakas, are you gonna be following else this uh, anything else this weekend? Or are you uh yeah, this weekend, any events am I following? Honestly, probably not. But if I may, I'd like to plug my upcoming event uh coming in August. Yep. Um so the Great Canadian Open Summer is coming back. If uh, there's anyone in the uh in, in Canada who's interested in taking part or in the US or anywhere else. It'll be August 20th. It's a one-day event. We're looking for uh, 16 players, but we'll expand to 20 if there's demand for it. And, um, yeah, hope to see everyone there. You know, we're very jealous that the U.S. have their nationals and other countries have their nationals. One day, we hope to get there as well. And this is just my attempt to sort of coalesce and bring people from all across Canada together. We've already got players from Southern Ontario, Quebec, and the Maritimes coming over. And we'd love to see people from elsewhere take part as well. So anyone's invited to take part, come on down and test your medal in Nations Canada. Fantastic. Um, yeah, I know your community is kind of like it's been a slow kind of getting back together, hasn't it? We spoke to you before yeah. about like bringing back people after COVID, and it is getting there, which is great to see. And you know, you see more and more Canadian players saying, "Oh, uh, where do I play? You know, who plays and things like that." And uh, I know myself have directed random Canadians over to the Discord and stuff. Um, and it is good to see. It's good to see the Canadian community uh, really come back um, after that. So yes, thank you very much, Clarence. Um, you'll probably be on again relatively soon, obviously while Carlo's away. So uh, we will have you back. We'll have some other topics to talk about very soon, no doubt. Um, but on this note, I do have to say a bit of a. Well, I'm, I'm going to make the going to make the statement now, the reveal now. Um, next week, and I will be putting out a poll for patrons, or not even a poll, but a little uh, document for patrons. Um, next week, I am hoping to have a very special guest on, uh, who does play a lot of A Song of Ice and Fire, um, and uh, I want to see what questions you guys want to ask him. So do come down for next week. I hope it's going to be a great show um, with Scott, the Miniature Maniac. So uh, we'll have him in on Monday, uh, ask him a load of questions about not just you know, hobby and things like that. Although we'll cover a little bit of hobby as we normally would. I've got a special treat for him. And, uh, you know, we'll go through his experience of playing a uh, song, his live streams and stuff, and, and how he enjoys what he enjoys playing, how he wants to shake, uh, shake it up a little bit. Um, I just generally chat to him about the, the game itself, where he thinks it's at, and, and what his plans for it in the future are. So, yeah, um, 
we'll do that next week hopefully um and uh yeah have a good one okay ready aim there's too many anyone see my mammoth ah! stubby